Air for Van Ver Racing Radio tonight. And uh, tonight we are uh, doing our Las Vegas NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topics Sound Off. Joining me for tonight's show as co-host is Andy Lasky. Welcome to the show, Andy. Thank you, Sharon. As always, a pleasure to be here and excited to be on for the full version tonight. So certainly looking forward to it. How you doing? Well, I'm uh, doing all right. I'm better than I was last week, but I still have my uh, little issue here. It started from a sinus infection, and now I'm into bronchitis. So uh, I'll kind of apologize ahead of time here because I know I run out of breath sometimes and have to stop and get a drink of water every now and then. But uh, we'll do the best we can with what our situation is. Right, Andy? Absolutely. Sorry to hear that you're still under the weather, but, uh, yeah, we'll do our best, and we'll have a little fun with the show tonight. Yes, indeed. Okay, we're going to start off with uh, some short track news, and then we'll give some updates from the Arkham Art Series, the Arca East and the Arca West Series. Uh, they're about to get going again here, so we'll keep you up to date with everything there. Uh, at 9 o'clock, we're going to have our interview with Chris Inter- with Chris Busher. Uh, this morning there was a media interview with Chris Busher, and uh, they are he. Uh, excuse me for just a minute here. Uh, there was a media interview with Chris Busher this morning, uh, and he is the driver of the number 17 Fastenal Ford Mustang. He comes into this weekend's NASCAR Cup Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, sixth in the driver standings after his fourth-place run at the Daytona 500 and a 13th-place finish last weekend at Auto Club Speedway. So this morning he spoke to members of the media, and we will have a portion of that media interview available at the top of the hour, and then uh, Andy and I will kind of give some thoughts about what he had to say. After that, we're going to preview the NASCAR Truck, Xfinity, and Cup Series race at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, all taking place this weekend. At 10 o'clock, it's our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off discussion with the Band for Racing crew, and uh, Jay uh, will be available uh, for that part of our show tonight, as well as Mike Orzel. So, and Andy, I know you're staying on with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, of course, Hot Topics is you know something I look forward to every week, and we always have some uh, fun uh, discussion back and forth on that, so uh, certainly looking forward to it. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and get into our short track news here. There's so many things going on in the short track world, and uh, one of the biggest things that's coming up that is on just about every website right now is the ASA Stars National Tour, and uh, you can find out uh, how you can watch that uh, if you, it's a pay-per-view event, but uh, it's available if you've uh, subscribed to Racing America. Uh, if you, um, Racing America is one of the big ones, but they also have it available on TrackTV.com. <coughs> excuse me, and the Midwest Tour. TV. So that's going to be exciting for fans to be able to to uh, be involved with this national tour. It is, and, you know, what, I, what I've really enjoyed most about um, the short track racing is that uh, there's been a push lately 
to try to make these events televised and more accessible to the fans. And, and certainly, um, you know, this is a, another great example of, of making this available for everyone to see. And it's good because short track racing is really the, the grassroots of motorsports, and, and to have that accessible is certainly a, a really good thing. Absolutely. And they've given us a preview here, too, of, um, and I'm looking at Racing America right now, but they have the ASA Stars uh, entry list. And there's a lot of familiar names on that entry list, Andy. Uh, Derek Thorne is coming from the West. He's going to be involved. Derek Krauss, uh he's a Wisconsin guy. I think uh, he's, he's also on this entry list. Uh, you've got some truck series guys like Carson Hosevar and um, uh, I thought I saw Grant Infinger on this list as well as Ty Majeski. So there's, there's a lot of big names on this list. Yeah, and, and those big names really help bring awareness too to these these divisions in these series. You know, anytime you know someone like a Ty Majeski, you know, someone that races in, in one of the top NASCAR divisions goes and runs these short track races, you know, it's a chance for them to go back to their racing roots and where they began their own careers. But it's also a great opportunity for them to to bring awareness uh, to these local uh, short track divisions, which I think is fantastic. So always cool to see the big names, like like you mentioned, Grant Ensinger, Ty Majeski, among others, uh, when they go and and run these events, and it just helps um, make them more popular. Absolutely. So if you want to find out who's going to be in that race, uh, you can get that information and a lot more over at Racing America. And Flow Racing, I I actually subscribe to Flow Racing and Racing America uh, because Flow Racing uh, does a lot of the coverage of the Arkham Menard Series. So anytime you miss an Arkham Menard Series race, you can catch that replay over at Flow Racing. But they have replays of all kinds of racing all around the country, which is really, really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Flow Racing, uh, Mav TV, Speed Sport, uh, really just a, a huge increase in the ability to watch uh, local racing events all around the country, which I think is fantastic. And this is all fairly recent, too, within the last few years. And, and I think that that really has helped bring a strong awareness um, to these local racing divisions across the country. Absolutely. Remember Vince Welch? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's going to be, share uh, some broadcast booth time uh, with uh, uh, Vince Welch and uh, Dylan's dad. I don't know. <laughs> they say Dylan's dad here. I don't know if that's Austin Dylan's dad, Mike Dylan. I'm not sure who Dylan's dad is. But uh, they're going to share the broadcast booth. So if you're looking or wondering what happened to Vince Welch, you're going to find out over at uh, uh Flow Racing, and they have like a a little more than 50-minute video called Loud Pedal, and uh, you can learn all about that by listening to that. So, Sharon, actually, that's uh, it's Dylan Welch, most likely, whose father is Vince Welch. Oh, Dylan Welch. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and he certainly has had some experience broadcasting both uh, IndyCar, IMSA, and NASCAR events for NBC Sports. Um, so, you know, it'd be pretty cool to see those two working together. Obviously, um, Vince, has, Vince Welch has been around uh, NASCAR broadcasting for several years, and, um, you know, Dylan's gotten into it recently. So that'll be fun to see those guys working together as a father and son duo 
um, you know, certainly both have, um, you know, been a part of a lot of motorsports broadcasting in recent years. I had totally forgotten about Dylan. I'm, I feel a little embarrassed about that. But, yeah, I think that uh, is going to be very cool then to have a dad and son together in that broadcast booth. So uh, I, I definitely recommend listening to that. Okay, anything that caught your eye over at Flow Racing? Yeah, I actually wanted to talk about, um, as far as, you know, short track racing news is concerned, uh, something I found a, a little disappointing, actually, was the possible redevelopment and sale of the Greenville Picking Speedway. Um, kind of been a bit of a theme we've seen in recent times in which, um, you know, these uh, smaller racing venues are starting to go by the wayside. Did you happen to see that, Sharon? I did see that, but I saw a post today, and I don't know if it was Jeff Gluck or if it was Bob Pockris now. I was going to post it, and I thought, well, we already talked about it. But, you know, I think they still have plans for the track in that redevelopment. It's similar to what they're doing at Auto Club Speedway, where they're selling a portion of it for an industrial complex type thing, but they're keeping a portion of that property uh, to maintain the racetrack as well. So it'll just be kind of a, a reduced version of what we've known uh, Speedway Pickens to be. Uh, it's a short track to begin with, so I would guess that that has to do with, uh, I know what they did at Auto Club Speedway is they're leasing the parking areas uh, for when there are, are events. So as part of that industrial complex. So it, it really is kind of an uh, interesting uh, development because when this came out, it reminded me of years ago, and in fact, I looked this up, uh, in 2011, was it 2011? 2013, in the fall of 2013, Humpy Wheeler and some other uh, people around the country are in, that were involved in the uh, racing world put together a program called Speedway Benefits. Do you remember that? I, I don't, actually. Well, I remember, I think we even had Humpy Wheeler on the show to kind of talk about it. It's a marketing and advertising partnership that sought to combine short tracks across the United States into a single body for the purpose of contract negotiations with suppliers, advertisers, and business partners. They saw that as alliance as a way to strengthen the bargaining positions of racetrack owners and to stymie um, uh, well, I'm not going to get into that, but the organization really wanted to grow the grassroots racing program. There were over a thousand short tracks across North America that were combining together for this bargaining power. And uh, I, I looked on their Facebook page tonight, and the last post I saw for that was in December of 2015. I thought that was such a great idea to preserve short track racing around the country is for them to work together collectively like that. And it made me so sad to see that that had kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I mean, any, any time that we can preserve short track racing in venues across the country is very important. So um, any time that, you know, we've seen these, these tracks start to go by the wayside. It is a bit concerning, but anytime we can preserve them, it's a good thing. So uh, with regard to Greenville Pickens, I'm, I'm glad to hear it's not totally going away. That was the uh, first initial thought. 
when I read through it. But um, if it can stick around and continue to to be a racetrack, then, then that's a good thing. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. I, I think that what we have to do is uh, wait for more information to come out about this. I know Auto Club says that they had some announcements that would be coming uh, shortly as well. They're anxious for those announcements to come out. And I'm looking for that post that I saw about Speedway Pickens so that I we can talk about that. Um, it was one of those three people. It was either Adam Stern, Jeff Gluck, or Bob Pachris. But uh, those guys seem to have their pulse on what's going on uh, in the racing world. And I, too, was happy to see that that didn't mean that they were going to eliminate the track. So we'll see what what, what further news comes out as this story continues to develop. Absolutely. Um couple more headlines um, taking a look at the cars tour we've talked about them in recent weeks um, the big purchase obviously uh, by several high profile uh, folks in NASCAR uh, their race at North Wilsboro coming up um, they're going to have a field of 38 cars which is which is fairly robust so obviously uh, a lot of excitement around the cars tour as they go into their 2023 season um, and uh, certainly you know 38 cars at North Wilsboro is uh, pretty big it is. That's like we've been saying. That is a, a short track, so to get that many cars out there on that short track is going to be quite a quite a big deal, and uh, something for fans to look forward to. I'm still looking for that post, uh, so I'm a little bit distracted here, uh, Andy. Yeah, no worries. Um, and in addition to the uh, cars tour. Um, the the Modifieds, uh, who can forget those cars? Uh, they're going to begin their season. Um, one of the articles here on Floor Racing talks about the 10 things to watch for during the Smart Modified season. Of course, the Smart Modified, uh, very similar to the, the Wheeling Modified Tour, they run down to the southeast um, with open Modified Tour-type cars. Um, I've always been a huge fan of the Modified, certainly really excited for them to get their season going. So, uh, there's a lot to look forward to here between the cars tour, the smart modified, wheeling modified, uh, open tour type modified cars, uh, in addition to uh, the late model racing that's all set to get their seasons on underway here soon. Some stuff's, of course, already begun uh, the 2023 season. Other series will begin here shortly, but just really a lot to look forward to. And, and you know, it's always it's always easy to to focus on the national touring divisions, but you know, regional and, and you know the local touring. Uh, racing divisions always put on such a good show and always really do a great job as they get their seasons underway. So there's a lot to look forward to uh, with regards to, you know, some of the smaller and, and local racing divisions across the country. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And, and these are um, Racing America, Flow Racing, uh, and the Matt Weaver, who used to be over at Racing America, has now moved over to Short Track Scene. Uh, and that's another site uh, where you can get just so much information about what's happening in the ra- in the short track racing world. So uh, I think that's the main thing um, is that fans still stay connected with short track racing. I think that's the best way for us to keep that alive is to get fan involvement, and especially if you've got short tracks near you, get out there to those tracks 
whenever possible uh, because we need to support as many short tracks as we can. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. I, I totally agree with that. You know, I'll admit personally, I, I got into racing primarily focused on uh, the national touring divisions in NASCAR. But as I've gone through the years, I've started to really try to learn about and, and focus more on on regional touring divisions. And and um, you have to remember that this is where racers begin their careers. You know, those who aspire to possibly make their way up into the the national uh, racing divisions, whether that's NASCAR or, or IndyCar, or, you know, sports cars, whatever the case may be. So um, it's always fun to to see where these guys make their names, you know, and, and start to really develop their careers. And uh, it's important not to lose sight of that by by all means. And we've done that at Fan for Racing for sure. Now I found that track short track scene. Uh, there's actually an article there that shows several site plan options for Greenville Pickens, and one of those options, option one, does include the racetrack. So it's a small glimmer of hope uh, of that racetrack saying there, but the other renderings that they show there do not include the racetrack. So, again, we'll have to wait and see what the final decision is there. But let's go ahead and move over to our Arca Menard series because – ARCA is a big part of the feeder system into NASCAR, and just like we're talking about with short track racing, this is where the future stars of NASCAR come from. Uh, They come up through the short track divisions and then into the ARCA Menard Series and then up to the uh, Truck Series or Xfinity Series and eventually the Cup Series. So it's really good to kind of get a head start, if you will, uh, with what's happening with a lot of these drivers if you follow the Arkham and Art series. And we've done that for years now, going back to the days when it was the K&N Pro Series. Yeah, that's a really good point, you know, Sharon. I've always felt like, you know, Fan for Racing specifically, uh, you has always, has always put a really big focus on the Arkham Menard series, whether it's the Arca series, East or the West divisions, um, and understandably so, uh, we've seen some big names uh, get their start, you know, down, I shouldn't say down, but, but in the ARCA series, you know, and, and gained the development uh, required for them to, to make their way up into uh, the top divisions in NASCAR. And, you know, obviously not everyone makes it, but a lot do. And, and it's fun to see these drivers uh, progress and grow over time. So, you know, and, and it all begins with, with the ARCA series. So it is kind of fun to see these guys um, you know, to uh, develop their careers, and you know, and, and that all begins with um, generally ARCA. Absolutely. Okay, now they are. Excuse me. They are getting ready to get back on track, and uh, not this weekend, but a week from this weekend, uh, the ARCA Menard Series and the ARCA West will be racing a combined event out at Phoenix Raceway. The General Tire 150 uh, will take place at 8 p.m. on March 10th, and it will be televised on Fox Sports 1. So the first combined event of the year, uh, the second race for the Arkham and Art Series, but the first race for the uh, Arca West. It will be their season opener, and so we'll get a chance to uh, watch this take place on the national stage because it's the same weekend that the uh, NASCAR Cup Series is going to be racing at Phoenix. Yeah, I think that's the key, um, you know, as far as awareness for the ARCA Series. I think that they do well 
when they run in conjunction with a, a major NASCAR weekend like we just saw at Daytona a couple of weeks ago with the Arkham Menard Series. He'll be back in action, as you already mentioned, again at Phoenix, uh, coupled with the West Series. Um, and I believe the truck, maybe not the truck series, but I know I think Xfinity and Cup will run uh, out there as well. So obviously a big racing weekend nonetheless, and um, it'll be fun to see the Arkham Menard Series uh, in action. Uh, and I think what's really uh, helpful for the Arkham Series this year, too, is that uh, all the events will be televised on Fox Sports, whether that's Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2 or Fox. So I think that really helps um, get viewership and, and get people to enjoy these races. And um, as you already mentioned, this one, uh, the General Tire 150, uh, will be on uh, Friday, March 10th at 6 p.m., and I believe that's live, actually, on Fox Sports 2. So um, it's going to be uh, nice to see more of these races uh, televised and available for race fans. Exactly. And before we get to the Arca East, I just want to mention – uh, we had Greg Van Alts, who won the Daytona 200 uh, in the Arkham Menard Series back in February, on our show this past Monday night, and we had a nice interview with him. His move was the Reese Sweet move of the race at Daytona as well. And uh, he's one of the underdogs in the sport. His, he doesn't have a big team with a big operation. It's him and a few of his buddies that get together and prepare his car. And uh, for him to compete against the, the powerhouse uh, teams of Venturini Motorsports and Joe Gibbs Racing um, in the Arkham Menard Series and go out there and win at Daytona was a pretty big deal. So they have his uh, Victory Lane interview at Daytona over at ArkaRacing.com as well as his Reese Sweet Peak move of the race if anybody's interested in, in catching up with what's happening there. Yeah, Sharon, you know, just wanted to interject on that real quick. You know, Mike Orzel and I actually watched that race live at Daytona um, over that race weekend. And, you know, obviously it was a, an exciting race, as all super speedway races generally are. But I remember being pretty happy to see Greg win that race because it was a feel-good underdog story. And it really, to see that genuine excitement and enthusiasm for winning at Daytona, which is, you know, the biggest race of the year, which is really fun to see that and, and to be able to do, as you already mentioned, against the big powerhouse teams with all the funding, you know, for him to go out there and, and put together a program that was capable of winning that race was just really fun to see that. And I just couldn't help but, but smile and be happy for Greg because it was just a really cool win. Well, on the show Monday, he was talking about how he got so many phone calls uh, from people he knew, but he also got phone calls from people he didn't know. He was wondering how they got his phone number, uh, talking about how he had inspired them, that they were from smaller teams as well, and uh, that he gave them a lot of hope uh, of being able to do the same thing at some point in their careers. So it was an inspirational thing that happened at Daytona in that Daytona 200 race for the Arkham Knight Series. And that's really the coolest part about it is the fact that, you know, you know, he was a, a small town racer from Indiana that went out there and, and got the job done and for him to inspire others to, to hopefully do the same thing, I think is just the coolest thing about it. So definitely a popular win, I feel like, and, you know, hopefully we'll see more of that as, as uh, this 2023 season continues to develop. Well, you know, Frankie Munoz uh, made his ARCA debut in that race as well. So he's planning to run the full-time season so uh, that was really cool as well. Uh, Malcolm in the middle star. 
Frankie Muniz. Yeah, that was actually that was another fun storyline, and he actually did a pretty good job. He was up front late in the race with a chance to actually win it. Uh, I forget exactly where he ran in that race, but he did a good job, and you know, for his first super speedway race, um, that's no tall task, you know. So, or it is a tall task, I should say. Um, and uh, he did a good job and was there at the end and in contention. So, yeah. kind of excited to see. Uh, how his season unfolds and and what he's able to do moving forward. Well, he said he's doing some short track racing around the country in preparation for a full-time run in the Arkham Menard series, and I think it showed in that Daytona race. Uh, I'm anxious to see what he does for the rest of the season. Um, But let's go ahead and talk about this Arkham Menard series East. I'm so used to the East, and I've mentioned this so many times already, but I'm used to the East having their season opener at New Smyrna during the Daytona race weekend. And this year it didn't happen, and I really missed it. But their season is about to begin. The Pensacola 200 will be March the 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern time at Five Flags Speedway, and that racing coverage will be live streaming through Flow Racing. Now, this year... Uh, ARCA does have an agreement for the tape-delayed broadcast to actually be on CNBC. So the delayed broadcast of that will be on CNBC on April 2nd at 9 a.m. Eastern Time. But I always encourage people, check your local listings. And then also the day of the racing, not only can you see the live streaming at Flow Racing, Andy, but ARCA Racing always has a radio broadcast as well. They do indeed, and um, certainly looking forward to their season opener. The East Series uh, always puts on some good races. Uh, again, that's going to be March 25th at the Five Flags Speedway uh, for the Pensacola 200. Um, and again, uh, on TV, if you want to watch it, take delayed April 2nd at 9 a.m. on CNBC. Uh, and then looking ahead beyond that, um, they got a big weekend coming up at Dover uh, at the end of April. So certainly looking forward to seeing not only their season uh, kick off here in just a couple, three weeks, but um, also looking forward to the upcoming races, which I think are in conjunction with uh, NASCAR weekend. So uh, that'll be some good exposure for the Arkham RZ series. And just as a reminder, uh, Jay and I talked about this on Monday night, but uh, or actually Sal and I talked about this on Monday night as well, and then Jay brought it up during Hot Topics. The Sioux Chief Showdown that we're used to seeing in the Arkham Menard series has been eliminated. And one of the reasons they did that, I guess, is because they felt like the Sioux Chief Showdown was, was uh, taking uh, um, the activity away from the Arca East series. So they're hoping that by eliminating the Sioux Chief Showdown, it will increase the participation in the Arca East events. If you notice, their schedule is quite a bit smaller uh, than we're used to seeing. And the Arca West, uh, it didn't affect that as much. They've got a longer race uh, season and uh, a lot of involvement there. But uh, we've seen it dwindle in the Arca East, and so hopefully this will help promote that Arca East series again. Yeah, you know, it's a good point about the Sioux Chief Showdown. You know, I always thought the program was was good, but, you know, I don't necessarily think eliminating it's a bad idea. And the, the reason being, um, you know, if they can focus on just the racing events themselves for the ARCA series 
and the Arkham Menards East series and the Arkham Menards West series, you know, then, you know, you're really just focused on the actual racing events for each respective series. The showdown's cool, but it, it was kind of like a subcategory, and to be perfectly honest with you, I'm not sure I ever understood it that well. So um, maybe keeping it simpler and just focusing on, focusing on the racing events at hand is, is a good thing, and, you know, maybe that'll, you know, as you said, you know, provide maybe a little bit more focus to um, not just the ARCA series, but also the West and East series. Yes, indeed. I hope it is. Uh, also, just one other thing I wanted to make sure I pointed out. Um, if you've ever wondered about the ARCA pit stop rules, they do have an article at ARCAracing.com that explains uh, how those ARCA Menard series pit stops work for each of the races. So um, a lot of times people are – that's one of the biggest learning curves that a lot of these teams have when they move into NASCAR's top three is the pit stops because they're not used to doing – these are kind of more controlled pit stops where when you get to NASCAR, uh, you're on a time clock, if you will. Everybody's trying to do the fastest pit, pit stop they can do in order to get back on the track. So it's quite a bit different in why there's such a learning curve for a lot of these drivers when they move up into NASCAR's top three. And, and it makes a lot more sense when you read this article. Yeah, and that's actually a good thing, you know, to your point. Uh, generally speaking, the uh, the ARCA series take race breaks in which they perform their pit stops. And so it's, it's, you know, certainly good to read the article to not only understand how the pit stop process works, but, um, you know, to also, you know, help understand what that transition is like as drivers move up into um, the possibly the top three series in NASCAR in which they have to perform live pit stops. So having a good understanding of, you know, what they go through and where they come from, I think, will help fans uh, better educate themselves on the pit stop process. Absolutely. Okay, it's the top of the hour, so I want to go ahead and move on to our media interview. Uh, it posted uh, this afternoon, and uh, I kind of added it to the show here tonight uh, because it's Chris Busher, and Chris Busher is uh, just so good has been doing so well, I think, at RFK Racing. And uh, I, I looked at the uh, transcript of his interview, and uh, I thought, we've got to get this on. Uh, there's some that I'm not going to be able to get to probably because we're only gonna, it's about a 20-plus-minute interview. Yeah, 26.6 minutes. And uh, we're probably only going to be able to play about 10 minutes of it. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to post this interview over at BAMFRacing.com after the show so that people can uh, hear the entire interview. But we'll play the first 10 minutes here on Banfor Racing Radio here tonight. What do you think about that, Andy? Sounds like a plan. Okay. And then uh, after I play... Uh, around 10 minutes, I'll look for the breaking spot here. Then uh, Andy and I will have a few comments afterwards about what he has to say. All right, joining us on our Ford Performance NASCAR Media Zoom call this week is Chris Busher, driver of the number 17 Fastenal Mustang. Off to a good start here, Chris, a fourth place at Daytona, 13th last week at Auto Club. We've got them lined up for you here, so we'll just kind of kick it off with questions, take advantage of the time we have here this morning. Uh, and let's kick it off with Nathan Solomon. Nathan, you're on the poll. Go ahead, get us started. 
Awesome, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Obviously, a small sample size so far, but just leading laps in the Daytona 500, having strong finishes in these first couple of races, how does that build momentum to this early portion of the season? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a good, uh, a good start for us, right? The um, Daytona, we, we knew we'd be fast down there, and we always have been, uh, but we were able to finish it out this time, and that makes a big difference. Uh, don't have a trophy to show for it, and uh, I'm a little bit bummed about that still, but uh, but still a really solid beginning there. Uh, going out west, last year was especially difficult with the new car, uh, very limited practice. We were fighting a lot of tire issues. Uh, you know, we ended up with some, some really rough finishes out there. Even though we, we ran better than where we finished, um, at the end of the day, it did not set us off on a, on a good start for the year. So we're in a much better place now. Uh, Fontana ended up running pretty decent. Um uh, Missed uh, a little bit on the start and really would have loved to have had some practice, as would everybody. But uh, after that, you know, we feel like we have a, a decent uh, idea going into Phoenix. Brad did the test there uh, a few months back and was really happy with the race car there in the, in the new package. So uh, we have a lot of good things coming at us here. And I feel like we're in a, in a good spot to head out west for the next few weeks and keep that momentum going as we, we come back uh, back to the home coast. And then with, with Auto Club this last Sunday and then Las Vegas this Sunday, how important are those two races in terms of a measuring stick to just to kind of gauge speed at intermediate for the rest of the season? Yeah, Fontana's hard just based on the asphalt condition, uh, the lanes, the, the seams, uh, the fantastic racetrack. And I'm uh, definitely bummed that, that that was the last one there. But uh, I don't know if it's a true read for many other places other than maybe homestead as we head later into the year but um but vegas will be very important to look at because it does have a lot of a lot of similarities to a lot of the other monohouse that we will be going to so uh, this will be a good test this weekend to see where we we stack up here what we need to work on and uh and what we've we've done right through uh through the work through the off season all right let's move on to marty sakala hey marty Thanks, Dan. Chris, appreciate the time, man. Um, so kind of following up on Nathan's first question, you know, your win at Bristol and the overall team performance that RFK Racing had during the night race, was that the big spark that team needed um, heading into the beginning of 2023 where you guys are right now in the top 16? It was surely um, the, the biggest spark, I guess. The um, I would say really it hit us a little bit early in the year. Uh, probably Dover. Um, we got our first pole there, ran really well that whole race. And uh, and a track that we had uh, not been the best, that we've been decent at, but they hadn't had that real uh, great speed there in a long time. So uh, I think that was a good kick in the rear for us. And then we headed through the summer months and into the end of the season and felt like we were hitting – at a lot of racetracks that haven't been our strongest. Uh, Richmond was fantastic. Our road courses were very strong. Uh, Bristol was just the time that we finally put all together and had the most to show for it, right? And um, and showed it for, for ourselves and everybody else. And I think that was the uh, the, the big one that, that said, all right, we're, we're in a good spot. We can win these things. Now it's very hard to get more. Uh, went through the end of the year, Brad. Uh, got the pole at Texas, a uh, mile and a half, which uh, – was probably the style racetrack we struggled with most during the season. So that was uh, really, really optimistic there uh, heading through the uh, the offseason. And now we feel like that Vegas is probably the good 
it's a good test to see where uh, where we stack up, where everybody's going through uh, the downtime, and where we'll be be hitting it off here. I guess continuing on with Vegas, what has prep been like coming into this weekend? Ever since you've been with Jack Roush, you've got one top ten there at the track. I know you're trying to improve uh, your stats at Vegas, but you finished every race uh, pretty much there with Roush on the late lap. Yeah, I mean, we're um, we're definitely shooting for a, a whole lot better than that, right? And um, it's trying to figure out how we can get across the bumps. The, um, I think our feeling, and I would imagine it's pretty similar across the garage, is if we didn't have uh, tire issues from Fontana, which has historically been very hard on every tire we've ever had, uh, we're probably not going to see them uh, going forward into a, a Vegas weekend now. Uh you know, it does that uh, still keeps on our toes for some of the right side issues at the Texas Motor Speedways, maybe, but um, feel good about this weekend not being something that we're going to be concerned about there. Uh, with that, you know, Vegas is going to be nice and cool, so speeds are going to be up. Um, it's another fun racetrack. We're able to move around a lot there. We have a lot of choices. Uh, the bumps in the one are really rough, uh, especially in this car, and so we'll be focusing pretty hard on those to figure out how to get them better. And... Um, and then actually some of the wildest restarts I felt like we've we've seen last year came from Las Vegas. So um, definitely be on our toes for that as well, ready for four and, and five wide, uh, just going back and watching the races last year. So uh, it, it's bound to get a little bit wild out there, but uh, you know, try, and, try and play what we can and be ready and uh, try and have another surge forward like we were able to get last year. Okay, we'll go ahead and stop it there, Jay, or Sal, or Andy. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts about what uh, Chris had to say here? Yeah, you know, obviously um, a solid start to the year for Chris at RFK Racing. I think that he's one of those drivers that, you know, just continues to show improvement and get better and better over time. So, um you know, and I think he brings up some good points about Vegas. I think that um, some of the uh, more entertaining uh, intermediate tracks, um, you know, have been either Vegas or tracks like Vegas. And I think that he, you know, is, is correct in thinking that this weekend, you know, the restarts could be wild and it, it could be a lot of fun. So I, I'm looking forward to Vegas for sure. Um, you know, and, and I think that, um, you know, he's a part of, a program that's only getting better and better, you know, certainly with Brad's leadership coming in there and, and, and whatnot. And, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, specifically looking at Busher, he's got a lot to look forward to. So I think that, you know, they're, they're in line for, for having a good year this year. Yeah, I think so too. And he talks about how it really started last season during the last half of last season where they started to kind of get their footing and it was that Bristol night race where they really felt like they, they knew that they could go out there and, and uh, contend. Um, and he also brought up the fact that one of the challenges this weekend is going to be it's going to be the weather's going to be cooler out at Las Vegas than what they're used to this weekend as well, uh, which I know kind of changes uh, the notebook for what they usually race. Uh, out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this time of year. I know Sal was telling everybody, be sure to dress warmly if you're going to that race. Yeah, you know, I think we actually saw something like this last year, too, where, you know, it was reasonable during the day, but it was uh, fairly cool at night. And, I, you know, you look at the truck race, which is at night, and the Xfinity race, which is in the late afternoon, so it could get pretty chilly this weekend. 
Yes, indeed. So uh, just be aware of that as you're watching the race. Um, and uh, I think Chris made a good case for that. I really like how RFK Racing is progressing. I think that the first half of last season um, was kind of a growing period with Brad Keselowski coming into the organization, uh, changing man- – you know, well, I guess he didn't really change manufacturers. He went from Ford to Ford uh, with Team Penske to RFK. Uh, but uh, I, I think there still was a transition period there, and I think that they've, they've really found their footing, and they're off to a pretty good start this season. So I think we have a lot to look forward to uh, with that RFK team uh, with both Chris Buescher and Brad Keselowski this season. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, with with Brad joining Roush and, you know, rebranding it to, to RFK Racing, you know, he openly said early on that um, – you know, they're not going to turn that team around overnight. It's going to take some time. And I thought that last year was a reasonable first year under the rebrand. And I think that they can expect uh, bigger and better things, not only this season, but, but continue to improve in seasons to come. So, um, you know, I really like Busher. I, you know, specifically, I feel like he's a good kid, you know, that's been around for a while. And, you know, obviously last year they, they won that race at Bristol, you know, and I think that gave them some late season momentum that's now since carried on into 2023. And I think that that should give them some optimism now that they can win a race and, and possibly make the playoffs this year. So certainly a lot to be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. We haven't seen that at that organization in quite a while. So I think they've got two really good team players there uh, that are going to make, make a lot happen. So uh, we'll see how the rest of the season unfolds for them. Uh, but I really enjoyed this interview. Um, just to give you an idea of what else is on that interview, uh, they asked if there were any doubts for the season ahead. Uh, what tracks do you think you can win at this year? Uh, what are your expectations about the new package for short tracks and road courses? And I know we're going to talk about that on Hot Topics here a little bit later. And then uh, how do you like the longer restart zone? We had that big crash at Auto Club. So should it stay for the rest of the season? And that's another topic that I, I put on for uh, Hot Topics as well. Uh, so, But Chris Busher gives his thoughts about that. And then how close are you to being able to dial in a change like uh, that on a simulator? And then are you concerned about the change? This change could take away from some of your advantage on road courses. And let's see, there's about three or four more questions here. Uh, the same tire is being used from Auto Club, Vegas, and Kansas last year. What things are you working on to improve those from 13th to 15th place finishes? And then what's the value of getting that practice session in at Phoenix with the changes that were just announced? And, again, we'll talk about what those changes are on hot topics. Uh, does NASCAR need to get involved with the restart zone situation as far as drivers laying back? That's the one we'll talk about on Hot Topics as well. And then you lay back to get extra momentum to the person next to you. He does go on later to say it's not the person next to you that you're trying to gain the momentum on. It's the person in front of you. So uh, he gives uh, the the second part of this interview is really good, and that's why I want to post it on fanforracing.com so that fans can hear that interview in its entirety. So... um, uh, just an FYI that that will be coming. Let's go ahead and get into our um, preview now 
for the uh, truck series at Auto at uh, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and um, we'll start with the truck series. I'll um, what we usually do here, uh, Andy, is I'll give the details about the race, and then we start from the bottom up uh, and and talk about each of the uh, topics there. So first of all. The next race is the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200, presented by Westgate Resorts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this Friday, March the 3rd, at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 8 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 201 miles over 134 laps. The first two stages are 30 laps apiece, stage one ending on lap 30, stage two on lap 60, and then the last stage is 74 laps, and that will end uh, on lap uh, 134. So we've got uh, some news here in the NASCAR Trek Series uh, with uh, Zane Smith. Yeah, um this is actually an interesting stat that I hadn't seen, uh, but he looks to become the eighth driver to win three or more consecutive races. Uh, he ended last season, of course, by winning the season finale at Phoenix, uh, which led to the championship. And um, he also uh, won the season opener at Daytona, which, of course, he also won last year. So if he wins this weekend at Las Vegas, he'll be the eighth different driver to win three or more consecutive races, and this is quite a list of drivers that he joins here. Ron Hornaday, Kyle Busch, Johnny Benson, Greg Biffle, Todd Bodine, Kevin Harvick, and Mike Skinner are the other drivers that have won three or more consecutive races. Those are some big names and certainly a lot of history as it pertains to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Of course, the NASCAR Hall of Famer Ron Hornaday leads the Truck Series in most consecutive wins, and that's with five straight, which was back from June 20th, 2009 to August 1st, 2009. So, suffice to say, Sharon, if Zane can pull that off, he's going to be with some big company. He is. He's got to race some big dogs to make it happen, but uh, because we've got some Cup Series drivers that are entered in that Truck Series race, but uh, I can't wait to see if he's able to do it. Okay, now also Max Gutierrez is going to race this weekend in memory of his late brother. Uh, he's a Truck Series rookie. Max Gutierrez was set to make his first Truck Series start at Daytona, but shortly before the start of that race, his younger brother, Fico Gutierrez, was killed in a car accident just outside Mexico City. A lot of us wondered what happened there, uh, and then we found out later. After taking some time to mourn the loss of his brother, uh, Max decided to come back to the track to honor his late brother at Las Vegas Motor Speedway in his fifth Truck Series career start. So to honor his brother, uh, Gutierrez, who's now with the number 22 AM Racing Ford, is going to showcase his brother's logo on the hood for his first Truck Series start this year. The former Arkham and Art Series East winner, uh, Gutierrez, has four Truck Series uh, starts under his belt, and his career best finish was an eighth-place finish that took place at Nashville Super Speedway. So uh, I'm sorry to hear about the loss of his uh, brother, uh, but it's nice to see that he's racing in his memory this weekend out at Las Vegas. 
Yeah, I mean, it's always tough to to try to go race under those circumstances. Uh, certainly hate to see that, but um, it will be good from the standpoint of going out there and um, racing for his brother's memory, you know, and that's the best thing that he can do, certainly. So certainly thinking about him and his family as he goes and, and does that this weekend. Um, let's see, taking a look here as it pertains to the truck series moving to the Las Vegas Motor Speedway for race number two of the season. There have actually been 30 NASCAR camping, or sorry, <laughs> thinking camping world here, the NASCAR Crafted Truck Series races. There's been 30 at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway, uh, which has produced 25 different race winners and 21 different pole winners. Nine races have been won from the pole or first starting position. Most recently, that was by Kyle Busch in 2019. Uh, Bush also holds a couple of records in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series at Vegas, which, of course, is his home track, which includes the qualifying record with a speed of 178.903, which is back in two, uh, 2019. And he also sits as the winningest driver with three wins, which came back in 2018, 19, and 20. Also the record holder at Las Vegas Motor Speedway is Thor Sports' Matt Crafton. He's posted the most top fives of 11 top 10s of 17 and lead lap finishes in 20 with laps completed of 3,451. Last year at Vegas, it was Chandler Smith who fought his way to victory lane after battling with team owner at the time, Kyle Busch, who ultimately posted the runner-up finish. Chandler led 32 laps while Busch led 31. The truck series will kick off the weekend uh, with practice. That's this Friday, March 3rd, so that'll be tomorrow at uh, 4.35 p.m. Eastern time, followed by full qualifying at 505 uh, I got to be honest here in Vegas at the you know the, for the truck series is always one of my favorites every year I'm excited about this one tomorrow it should be fun <clears throat> I think it'll be a lot of fun okay we're back at it Craftsman Truck Series now heads to Las Vegas and uh, they had last weekend off to recharge and regroup after that action-packed race at Daytona to open up their 23 season. But this weekend, they're back for the Victoria's Voice Foundation 200 out at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Now, fans saw Front Row Motorsports Zane Smith make his second trip to Victory Lane at Daytona. Uh, Andy talked about that a few minutes ago. He drives at number 38 Front Row Motorsports Ford. He now heads to Las Vegas Motor Speedway, hoping to take the checkered flag to become the fourth driver in the truck series to post back-to-back wins to start the season. If he does that, he mentioned it earlier, he would join Mark Martin, uh, who did it in 2006 at Daytona and Auto Club, Johnny Sauter in 2013 at Daytona and Martinsville, and Ben Rhodes, who did it in 2021 at Daytona and then the Daytona Road Course. Now, Kyle Busch leads the uh, truck series in wins at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He has that total of three in 18, 19, and 20. But he isn't the only former winner that's entered into the race this weekend. Busch is joined by John Hunter Nemechek, who won there in 2021, and Christian Eckes, who won in 2020, and then Grant Infinger won there in 2018, and Ben Rhodes in 2017. So it will be interesting to see what happens this week. (laughs) I apologize for that. No, it's going to be uh, a lot of fun this weekend. There's some, you know, big names in the field, uh, drivers with experience. And, you know, as I alluded to just a few moments ago, uh, the truck series, in my mind, always puts on some of the best racing that we see every year 
at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and, and you know certainly one that we always look forward to. So tomorrow night is, uh, I think, one to watch, and I'll be watching for sure. It should be fun. Yes, it is. Okay, we're going to go ahead and move on now to the Xfinity Series. The Alsco Uniforms 300. Andy, I'm going to ask you to take this because my throat is still a little bit dry here. No problem. So moving on to the Xfinity Series, of course, it'll be the Alsco Uniforms 300 that will be run at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Saturday from the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Coverage, of course, will be on Fox Sports 1. Looking forward to that. Um, Taking a look here at uh, some of the drivers that we'll see. Triple duty uh, for Kyle Busch, of course, uh, full-time cup driver for Richard Childress Racing, um, will be in the Truck Series event. That'll be for his own team, Kyle Busch Motorsports. He'll drive the number 10 entry for Colleague Racing uh, this weekend on Saturday. Um, And, of course, Las Vegas is his home track, so you can see why he would want to do that. Um, He's made uh, six Truck Series starts at Vegas, posting three wins. That's pretty impressive. 50% of the time, He's won a race, uh, five top fives and six top tens in all six of his starts. Uh, he'll then climb into the 10 cars I already mentioned on Saturday for the Xfinity Series race in which he has 15 starts at Las Vegas, uh, posting two wins, five top fives and six top tens. And then, of course, he closes out the weekend uh, behind the wheel of the number eight Chevrolet for Richard Childress Racing, of course, coming off that big win at Fontana last weekend. So with that momentum going into his home track, he'll look to make it two for two in a row, and of course it'll be his 24th start uh, in the Cup Series in 23 previous attempts. He's posted one win, which is in 2009, 11 top fives, and 14 top tens, so certainly some strong numbers that he'll look to add to uh, this coming weekend. Yes, indeed. I think I've recovered here. Um, now, the Sunoco Rookie Class is also in full swing. With uh, a top five finish just last weekend at Auto Club, Chandler Smith is on top of the Rookie of the Year class, and he's at 76 points, putting him fourth in the overall standings. I've been really impressed also with Parker Retzkloff. He uh, slides in behind Chandler Smith with 51 points and is now 11th in the overall standings. Then there's Sammy Smith and Blaine Perkins, who take up the third and fourth place spots in the rookie class. Uh, Smith is 19th at Auto Club Speedway and goes into Vegas with 44 points. Perkins rounds out that class with just seven points. Now Chandler Smith and Sammy Smith uh, will be making their debuts at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend in the Xfinity Series. Retzlaff and Perkins go into the weekend with one start each. Retzlaff finished 21st in 2022, and Perkins had a 20th place finish in 2021. And so, yeah, no, the rookie class is impressive. There's some big names in there. You mentioned Parker Reschloff, uh did an impressive job last year when he made his debut in the Xfinity Series. Some pretty solid rookies, I think, for the uh, 2023 NASCAR Xfinity Series. So we'll keep an eye on them for sure. So who's going to take home the win this weekend? Um, of course, the jackpot out in Las Vegas. Uh, there are three previous winners who are entered in this weekend's event, and there could be a different winner who takes home that prize on Saturday. Colleague racing Daniel Hembrick has hit the Las Vegas track quite a few times and has put up some good numbers. In nine starts, he's posted four top fives and six top tens. In last season's March event, he snagged a third-place finish 
And, of course, JR Motorsports' is Brandon Jones is no stranger to racing in Las Vegas. He's made 12 starts, posting two top fives and nine top tens. In both Vegas races last season, he finished within the top ten. So it's anyone's guess who's going to win this race, but should be a fun one to watch. Okay. Well, the Xfinity Series is taken on Sin City. <laughs> and uh, to keep the West Coast swing alive, uh, they're heading to Las Vegas Motor Speedway for that Ascos Uniform 300 on Saturday, March the 4th. Uh, this will be the 32nd Xfinity Series race at that Nevada track. They've produced 22 different race winners and 18 different pole winners. Six of those races were won from the pole or first starting position, and most recently by your favorite, Andy, Chase Briscoe in 2020. Now, Junior Motorsports' Justin Allgaier has made a name, his name known at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Right now, he holds Xfinity Series records for the most top fives with nine. He has the most top tens with 14 and the most lead lap finishes with 15, along with the most laps completed at 3,329. NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin, though, he leads the Xfinity Series and wins at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with four in 99, 2005, 8, and 11. Our junior motorsports teammate Josh Berry is the track's most recent winner in 2022, his second victory at that 1.5-mile oval. Now, Barry's not the only previous winner entered in this weekend's uh, race. He's also joined by Kyle Busch, who has uh, wins in 16 and 19. He'll be piloting the number 10 Chevrolet at College Racing. And Tyler Reddick, who won in 2019, is going to be driving that number 24 Sam Hunt Racing Toyota. Now, this weekend's practice is scheduled for Friday, March 3rd at 6.35 p.m. That's tomorrow, and it will be followed by qualifying at 7.05 p.m. Eastern Time. Andy, are you still with me? Yeah, it's going to be – I am with you here. And uh, this is an interesting stat um, from last weekend as we uh, take a look back at the Auto Club Speedway. which opened and closed with the Nina checks. Um, of course, looking back at last weekend after some rain and snow postponed the NASCAR Xfinity Series event, John Hunter Nemechek became the last winner on the two-mile circuit, a special moment as his dad, Joe Nemechek, won the first NASCAR Cup Series pole in the history of the Auto Club Speedway. His win marked the third of his Xfinity Series career in his second with Joe Gibbs Racing. Uh, his first with Joe Gibbs Racing was in 2021 when he ran a partial schedule. Nemechek is off to a fairly hot start in his first full-time season with JGR behind the wheel of the number 20 Toyota. In the season opener, he pulled off a runner-up finish and then backed it up with the win at Auto Club last weekend. He now heads to Vegas where he's put up some good stats in the Xfinity Series. Uh, In four starts, he's posted a top five and two top tens with a best finish of second, which occurred back in 2019. Uh, If he were to win this weekend at Vegas, uh, it wouldn't be the first time in his career that he's posted back-to-back victories. He uh, first pulled that off with consecutive wins in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series in 2017. That was at Worldwide Technology Raceway and Iowa Speedway. And then again in 2021 with wins at Charlotte and Texas. So kind of an interesting stat. They mentioned it on the broadcast the other day, Sharon, in which uh, they, that Joe had won the first pole there. And, and, you know, to have John Hunter win the last Xfinity Series race is uh, certainly uh, a pretty cool thing to share with his dad. Yeah, it's like a bookend to Auto Club Speedway. 
Okay, uh, let's talk now about the NASCAR Cup Series. The Pennzoil 400, presented by Jiffy Lube, will be at Las Vegas Motor Speedway on Sunday, March the 5th. That will start at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, the pre-race coverage actually starts at 3 p.m. on Fox. Radio coverage will be on PRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race a distance of 400 miles over 267 laps. Uh, first stage is 80 laps and ends on lap 80. Second stage will be 85 laps, ending on lap 165. And then the final stage is 100 laps, ending uh, 102 laps, ending on lap 267. So, what do we have here in the Cup Series, Andy? I know it's always a a boatload of information. A lot of good information, and, and I think we first must take a look at. Um, the fact that NASCAR will celebrate Wendell Scott at Las Vegas, of course, um, you know, his impact on the sport and its history has been um, very great, you know, and certainly a good thing for the sport. Um, and this weekend, uh, the cars in all three national series will have an opportunity to carry a tribute to him, um, the former NASCAR driver and, of course, Hall of Famer on their B&C posts. He was inducted in the 2015 class of the NASCAR Hall of Fame, and he made his first start in the NASCAR Cup Series on March 4, 1961 uh, at uh, Piedmont Interstate Fairgrounds in Spartanburg, South Carolina. He made uh, 23 starts that season and posted five top five finishes. And on December 1, 1963 at Speedway Park in Jacksonville, Florida, Scott became the first African-American to win a NASCAR Premier Series event uh, he won the 100-mile feature race after starting 15th. Over the next 13 years, Scott would make a total of 495 starts, and in his distinguished career, Scott accumulated 20 top-five finishes, including eight of them in the same season he won his first career race in 1994. Just a total pioneer of the sport, a lot of history here, and it's really cool to see that, uh, um, you know, in, in light of um, his uh, first start back in March 4th, uh, as we commemorate that, it'll be cool to see the teams paying tribute to that this weekend. It will be, because if you remember the history there, he did not get, uh, there was not a lot of pop and circumstances around that win. And so uh, I think NASCAR is, is made up for that uh, numerous times now. But this is now another opportunity to really recognize the impact of Wendell Scott uh, within the NASCAR ranks. So I, th- I think that's great. Okay, uh, Las Vegas, we've got a Las Vegas native. Bryce Harper is going to be named the Grand Marshal at Las Vegas Motor Speedway this weekend. He's the two-time National League Most Valuable Player, and he is named the Grand Marshal for Sunday's Pennzoil 400. He's a 12-year veteran outfielder for the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, Las Vegas high school graduate. He's going to deliver the command to start the engines for the 26th annual Cup Series event at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So uh, that'll be uh, nice to see. And I always like when uh, they involve the local celebrities in the NASCAR races. Yeah, I agree. It's always fun to see uh, local natives come out and, you know, get to enjoy the race weekend and and also, you know, come out and support NASCAR. And so it'll be uh, fun to see them there for sure. We've got some other dignitaries that will be there, too. Yeah, we certainly will as we uh, take a look at um, the Nevada governor, 
uh, Lombardo named the honorary pace car driver at Las Vegas. Governor Joe Lombardo uh, will lead the state of Nevada for the next four years, and on March 5th, he'll lead the field to green as the honorary pace car driver for the NASCAR Cup Series Pennzoil 400. Uh, previously, Clark County Sheriff's, uh, before being elected governor, he worked for their office, um, he'll pilot the Toyota Camry pace car in front of the 36-car field as the start of the event. And, of course, a statement uh, by Las Vegas Motor Speedway President Chris Powell says, We're honored to have Governor Lombardo participate in this ceremonial role in our state's preeminent sports event. Governor Lombardo has long shown great interest in major sports events in Nevada, and we're proud to welcome him to the Pennzoil 400. Of course, Lombardo joins current Las Vegas Raiders wide receiver Devontae Adams, former NFL standout Marshawn Lynch, and NHRA star Antron Brown as distinguished figures to pace the field for NASCAR events in Las Vegas. Um, In a statement from Lombardo, he said, Racing has long been a passion of mine, so I'm especially honored to drive the pace car in the Pennzoil 400 this year. I look forward to participating in this great Las Vegas sports tradition. So a lot of uh, big names uh, culminating, of course, with the governor driving the pace car for the Cup event on Sunday. Um, going to be fun to, to see these people at the track. And I think it's important. Um, and I say that because it's always nice when you've got uh, folks from either other major sports that come support NASCAR or, or politicians, big names like the governor coming to the racetrack. I think that that helps bring awareness to these events. And um, anytime you can help bring awareness and, and generate possibly more fans and, and more people watching these events, it's always a good thing. So, um, always kind of fun to see these uh, important dignitaries come to the racetrack. Without a doubt. And I, I also like our next uh, feature here as well because uh, we saw them at Daytona and they're back now for Las Vegas. And that's the USAF Thunderbirds. At the conclusion of the National Anthem, the Thunderbirds are going to punctuate pre-race activities with a six-jet Delta Formation flyover launching out of their home station of Nellis Air Force Base. America's great, America's ambassadors in blue are celebrating their 70th anniversary this year, and you'll remember NASCAR is celebrating their 75th. And the Thunderbirds F-16 Fighting Falcons are assigned to the Air Combat Command, and the team includes 12 officers and 120 enlisted personnel who will perform more than 70 aerobatic demonstrations at approximately 35 locations throughout the year. So uh, they are pretty amazing and uh, fun to see at the track. I always kind of get goosebumps. Yeah, that's a really good point. In fact, um, as you were, you know, mentioning that, I remembered that um, a couple years ago when I went to the Daytona 500, the Thunderbirds, uh, did the flyover there, and uh, it was just really exhilarating and really fun and just a great way to kick off that event. So for those going to Las Vegas this weekend, certainly in for a, a big treat uh, with the Thunderbirds. They do a great job as it uh, pertains to the flyover, and uh, there's really no better way in, in getting the race kicked off. So uh, glad to see them back for uh, another performance this weekend, and uh, they always do such a really good job. Yes, indeed. All right, so moving on here, we're looking at uh, longtime Las Vegas headliner Terry Fader to sing the national anthem at Las Vegas this weekend. Of course, the winner of season two of America's Got Talent, he'll perform 
the National Anthem before the start of the Pennsylvania 400 on Sunday. Of course, the Dallas Bread Entertainer led a record-breaking 11-year run at the Mirage, where he performed in front of millions. Fader recently opened his new Las Vegas show called Terry Fader, who's the dummy now at uh, Liberty Loft inside the New York, New York Hotel and Casino. So uh, always look forward to the anthem. You know, I think that uh, they've had some really good ones this year, and hopefully that trend will continue on Sunday. Okay. One more uh, uh, feature uh, person here that's going to be at the race this weekend. Uncle Cracker headlines the pre-race concert at Las Vegas. He's a multi-platinum singer and songwriter, and he'll headline the pre-race entertainment this Sunday at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with that pre-race concert on the front stretch. Now, he's a Michigan native and a feel-good rocker, and he'll perform hits from each one of his albums and showcase songs that have made him one of today's top post-real artists in country music. He's expected to take the stage at the Speedway at about 11 a.m., so uh, fans have a lot to look forward to with that pre-race concert. That's always a lot of fun. I know, Andy, you've been to the track. Uh, people really enjoy those uh, pre-race concerts. Yeah, they're so much fun, you know, and, and it's just a good way to, you know, to to get ready for the race. I think it gets fans fired up and, um, you know, as they anticipate um, the racing action. So concerts are always a good time, and, uh, you know, it'll be fun to see this one this weekend. Okay, another uh, Sunoco rookie update here. Yeah, taking a look at the Sunoco rookie update, of course, of the Cup Series. Um, Ty Gibbs uh, is out in front and center, and just two races into the season, of course, uh, as we look at um, the battle between Ty Gibbs and Noah Gregson. Um, Both rookies have managed to win a Rookie of the Race award, but it is Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs that has taken the rookie standing lead by 10 points over Gregson following his top 20 finish of 16th at Auto Club Speedway. Uh, this season, the 20-year-old Gibbs has put up a 25th place finish at Daytona and a 16th at Montana. The Charlotte, North Carolina native has earned a total of 38 points this season and is ranked 17th in the overall series standings. In uh, Gibbs' rearview mirror is his only rookie challenger in Gregson, who currently sits 22nd in the overall series point standings with 28 points. The 24-year-old Las Vegas native has finished 24th at Daytona and 22nd at Fontana. Both rookies made their series debut at Las Vegas uh, Motor Speedway, or track series debut, I should say. That was at Vegas last October, with Gregson putting up his best finish um, of the two drivers of 11th, and Gibbs posted a 22nd place finish. Yeah, this is going to be a fun competition with only the two drivers uh, contending for the rookie honors this season, and uh, both of them are pretty good drivers. So uh, I know Gregson wants to have a good finish in front of his hometown crowd, so we'll see what happens this year. Okay, now there's been five different winners in the last five races at Las Vegas, and uh, Las Vegas and a lot of other places love winners. So this weekend, 36 different winners are going to compete for that Cup Series win in the Pennzoil 400 on Sunday. And uh, if we look at the past, Las Vegas has produced five different winners in the last five Cup races. Kurt Busch won in September of 2020, Kyle Larson in March of 21, Denny Hamlin in September of 21, 
Alex Bowman in March of 22, and then Joey Galagano in October of 22. Will we see a sixth different winner this weekend is the big question. Now, a total of 17 different drivers have won the Cup Series in Las Vegas, and eight of the 17 are active this weekend. Four previous Vegas victors could keep the different winner streak alive on Sunday, and they include veterans like uh, Brad Keselowski, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr., Brad uh, Keselowski, Kyle Busch. Uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I, I said that backwards there, but Keselowski has three wins at Las Vegas, including 14, 16, and 18. Harvick had a win in 15 and 18, and Truex won in 17 and 19. Each have two. Kyle Busch, the Vegas negative, is the only driver to win from the pole at that track, and he did so in 2009. Now, two drivers are looking to end the different winner streak, and they are Hendrick Motorsports drivers Alex Bowman, the defending winner of the spring race at Las Vegas, and Team Penske's Joey Logano, the defending winner of last season's fall race. So um, that, that was the playoff race at Las Vegas. Bowman's made 11 series career starts, posting one win, two top fives, and three top tens. Lugano has nine starts to his credit, posting three wins, seven top fives, and 12 top tens. Now, of course, you mentioned Joey Logano, um, who's had so much success yep. at the Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Uh, Vegas really fits right into into you know his wheelhouse. No driver has been as dominant in the last eight Cup Series events at Vegas as uh, none other than Team Penske's Joey Logano. He is the only driver to win multiple races at the mile-and-a-half track during that span, uh, hoisting three trophies, which was uh, back in 2019, 2020, and 2022, including the most recent playoff race, which was last October, the 32-year-old is looking to become the fourth different driver to win consecutive races at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, joining uh, our our buddy Jeff Burton uh, back in 99 yep. and 2000, uh, Matt Kenseth in 03 and 04, and Jimmy Johnson uh, 05 through 07. Logano's made uh, 19 Cup Series starts at Vegas, posting one pole, three wins, seven top fives, and 12 top tens. And it's worth noting that Logano is one of five reigning NASCAR Cup Series champions that have gone on to win at Las Vegas. Uh, the following season of their title, this is actually an interesting stat that I did not know personally, but Matt Kenseth did it in 2004, Jimmy Johnson in 07 and 2010, Tony Stewart in 2012, Kevin Harvick 2015, and of course Logano himself back in 2019. So if history's on its side, I'd say that he's got a fantastic chance to try to get another one this weekend. Okay. Um, now the NASCAR Cup Series is ready to roll the dice out at Las Vegas this weekend. Uh, they're looking for some high-speed action uh, on Sunday, March the 5th, and uh, the construction of that facility that we know today as Las Vegas Motor Speedway began in 1995. Uh, Speedway Motorsports acquired the property in 98, and the first NASCAR race at Las Vegas spoke Motor Speedway was an Arkham Menard Series West race that was won by Ken Schrader on November 2nd, 1996. Did you know that, uh, Andy? I did not know that. I learned something new today. That's kind of a cool stat. It, it is. 
The first NASCAR Cup Series race was held on March 1st of 98, and NASCAR Hall of Famer's Dale Jarrett won that pole for the event, and Mark Martin won the race. Uh, but in total, there have been 30 Cup Series races held at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and uh, they've hosted one NASCAR Cup race per season from 98 to 2017. And starting in 2018, Las Vegas hosted two Cup Series events every year. Now, a total of 19 different winners have uh, won the pole uh, in the Cup Series at Vegas, and eight of the 19 are um, Eight of the 19 Cup Series uh, poll winners are active this weekend. Uh, Casey Kane leads the Cup Series polls at Las Vegas Motor Speedway with three in 2004, 7, and 12. Kyle Busch leads all active drivers in polls at Las Vegas with two in 2008 and 2009. So, again, Kyle Busch has the most. uh, The others that have at least one poll in from 2014 to 2022, include Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, Ryan Blaney, Eric Jones, Kevin Harvick, Tyler Reddick, and Christopher Bell. Now, of a, there's a total of 17 different Cup Series drivers that have won at Las, Mo- Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Eight of 17 uh, drivers are active this weekend. Jimmy Johnson leads the Cup Series with wins at that track with four victories in 2005, 6, 7, and 10. Rod Keselowski in 2014, 16, and 18, and Joey Logano in 2019, 20, and 22. <coughs> Excuse me. He leads all active drivers this weekend and wins at Las Vegas with three I apologize. <clears throat> With three victories each. Okay, just a quick rundown. We've given you the multiple victories. <clears throat> Those drivers with one victory from 2009 to 22 include Alex Bowman, Jenny Hamlin, Kyle Larson, and Kyle Busch. And I'm ready for a handoff here, <laughs> Andy. Yeah, of course. No problem, Sharon. Uh, so moving on, uh, drivers with two wins include Martin Truex Jr., Kevin Harvick. They won their races respectively 2019 and 2017. Harvick won his races in 2018 and 2015. And then Logano and Kozlowski, uh, they've got three apiece. We talked about Logano and how good he is at Vegas. He won races in 2022, 2020, and 2019. Brad Kozlowski's victories, of course, occurred during his Team Penske years in 2018, 2016, and 2014. So um, certainly plenty of active winners in the field, and they'll all look to add to their totals this weekend. Should be a lot of fun. And then uh, taking a look at our uh, next topic here, um, with regards to the the next-gen Cup Series car, it's off to another pretty hot start statistically. Uh, It's the sophomore season, of course, for the the next-gen Cup Series car. Uh, This season, the NASCAR Cup Series has produced an average of 17 different lap leaders through the first two races of the year, which is tied with the 2011 and 2010 seasons for the NASCAR Cup Series most in the modern era, which, of course, was uh, began in 1972 through the present day here in 2023. The 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season has produced uh, an average of 40 lead changes through the first two races of the season, which is the second most in the modern era. 
only behind the 2011 season, with an average of 52 lead changes through the first two races. In total, the uh, 2023 Cup season has produced 80 lead changes in the first two events, um, Daytona with 52 and Fontana with 28. And also this season has produced 239 green flag passes for the lead in the first two points-paying races of the year. Daytona had 204 with Fontana with 35. And the series most through the first two races since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 2007. In a year, over-year comparison, the 2023 Cup season with 239 green flag passes for the lead has produced an increase of 74.5% over the 2022 season's first two races with 137 green flag passes for the lead. And finally, the 2023 Cup season has produced 15,050 total green flag passes in the first two points-paying races of the year. Daytona had 11,538 green flag passes with Fontana's 3,512. That's the fourth most through the first two races since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated in 07, uh, behind 2015, which had 16,186, 2014 with 15,903, and 2016 with 15,305. Uh, the point there, of course, just a lot of parity to start the season. So that's always exciting to see. Uh, in a year-over-year comparison, um, the 2023 Cup Series season with 15,000 total green flag passes has produced an increase of 64.3% over the 2022 season's first few races with 9,158 total green flag passes. So, um, yeah, like they said, off to a really hot start here. Um, you know, a lot of green flag passes for the lead, a lot of green flag passes in general throughout the field, uh, making it a really competitive start to the year. And I, I think that you'll only see that trend continue as the season continues to progress. Exactly. And, uh, again, I just want to apologize to everybody for my uh, coughing fits here. I've been battling this uh, bronchitis, and uh, I apologize uh, for doing that during the on-air broadcast. Um, but let me just uh, tell you, there was a big – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, if you want me, I can uh, finish off the Cup Series here for you if you'd like me to. No, I think I can do this one, and then you can do the last one here. Uh, but one of the big questions coming into this season was the move with uh, Kyle Busch moving over to RCR. Everybody wondered how long it would take for Kyle Busch to get his first win, and he answered that question pretty quickly. Uh, Busch grabs his first win with RCR and becomes the second driver to lock himself into the playoffs. So uh, it didn't take much time to find victory lane with his new team. Uh, he's also a Las Vegas native, and he scored his 61st victory last weekend at Auto Club Speedway in just his second start with RCR. With that win, Bush is now the second driver to lock themselves into the playoffs. He joins JTD, JTG Doherty Racing's Ricky Stenhouse Jr., who won the season-opening Daytona 500. Now, the Fontana victory also etched Bush's name on another page of the series record books. It brings his consecutive wins, seasons, with a win to a total of 19 NASCAR Cup Series seasons uh, dating from 2005 to 2023, the most all-time, and he now breaks that tie with NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty, who did so in 18 seasons from 1960 through 1977. This weekend, Bush is returning to his home track 
and he looks to keep his early season momentum going. He's made 23 starts at Las Vegas. He puts He's put up two poles, one win, 11 top fives, 14 top tens, and his average finish at the mile-and-a-half track is 10.8. That's third best among active drivers. So there's no doubting the ability of Kyle Busch, and I think we still have a lot of seasons uh, to watch him win races. No doubt. Um, you know, just a, a quick comment about Bush himself. I, you know, I think that maybe the move to Richard Childress Racing was just a refreshing change that he needed. Um, you know, and I think that we all thought he was going to have success this year. I, I think that uh, to win in just his second, um, you know, point-paying event for the team is, is really impressive. I'm not sure that I anticipated that it would happen that quickly, but um, obviously came out and dominated and ran really well last week, and I've got so much confidence in him that uh, I've picked the hometown native to go out there and make it two in a row this weekend. I need a rebound in my fantasy points, and I'm looking at you, Kyle Bush, to try to make that happen. <laughs> so we'll certainly see what we'll certainly see what happens with that. It has not been a good start to the season for me with regards to the fantasy points, but um, yeah, we'll see either. what happens. Um, but to, to close out our news and notes here for the Cup Series, uh, Ross Chastain um, jumps uh, to the Cup Series lead for the first time ever in his career. And if you thought that the track house racing driver's success last season was a fluke, well, you better think again. The Florida native is full throttle this season, and following a dominant performance at Auto Club last weekend, he now leads the NASCAR Cup Series point standings by one point over Team Penske's Joey Logano in second. This is the first time Chastain has held the series point standings lead in his career. The 30-year-old uh, Chastain is one of four drivers this season to finish in the top 10 in the first two races of the season, along with Joey Logano, Alex Bowman, and his trackhouse racing teammate, Daniel Soares. Chastain will look to uh, hold on to the top spot this weekend at Vegas, where he's made nine career cup starts, uh, posting two top five finishes, including a runner-up that happened back in October of last year. Bushes and uh, actually, nope, that's the next session. So that uh, wraps things up for Chastain, but obviously off to a really good start, and um, he'll look to try to go out and uh, hopefully earn his first win this weekend. I actually thought, Sharon, that he was going to contend and, and possibly win that race last weekend. He was the only other uh, challenger that appeared uh, to have something for Bush. And so, um, you know, I think he's certainly, with the way he's performing to start the season, he's due for a win here in these first two races. He is, and I tell you, he has been so much fun to watch. He spent years with J.D. Motorsports, and as you know, we've had him on the show a few times. And uh, he's always been fun to interview. But uh, to see him, he, he, I think uh, Johnny Davis kind of encouraged him to go out there and look for other opportunities uh, because he knew that Ross Chastain had talent. And what he did is he raced every single race in every single series. There might have been a couple conflicts where it didn't work out, but he raced every race he could possibly race in every series. And I think you remember he kind of, that's when people first took note of what Ross Chastain could do. And to see him up in the Cup Series, and this is what, his second or third season in the, in the Cup Series now, uh, I think he, he finished runner-up last season for the championship and now he's in the series points lead it's just been and then the hail melon at martinsville that we've been talking about um that took a lot of guts to make that move it's just been so much fun 
to watch Ross Chastain move up through these ranks. Yeah, just an incredible talent, really. And if um, if you look back, it was when he got the opportunity with uh, Chip Ganassi Racing to run the 42 Xfinity car several years ago. Um, that really he uh, began to get everyone's attention um, and uh, ran really well, and I think that's what's helped lead to these opportunities. But very deserving. Um, you know, Mike and I talk about it all the time. You know how we love seeing drivers rewarded based uh, solely upon their talents, and, and Ross Chastain certainly fits that bill. Um, earning his way in the sport based upon strong performances and, and being a contender. And you always, you know, at least for me, I, I certainly love seeing drivers rewarded for their, their talents. And, and uh, you know, it's fun to see him not only succeed, but uh, continue to, to run well and have success. And I think that that's going to be the case for years to come. And obviously found a really good home with track house racing. It seems like a good fit for him. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's cool to see him get that chance. It is, it is, and I know he ruffles a few feathers along the line, but it's that racer's mentality, and I think it's just a learning curve for him. I think he's finding his way uh, within this sport, and uh, I think I think he's definitely going to be one of the stars to watch uh, moving forward, and uh, I hope he doesn't gain too much momentum early in the season uh, and lose that momentum heading into the playoffs, but uh, it'll be fun to watch no matter what. It sure will. It should be uh, fun. And like you said, you know, you never want to peak too early in the year, but I think that the way they're running, uh, they'll probably be able to sustain that throughout the year. So we'll keep an eye on it, but uh, certainly Ross Chastain has uh, started the season strong. He certainly has. We are at the top of the hour, Andy, and that means it is time for our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. And we have a couple other members of our Fan for Racing crew here. We'll start off with uh, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Sharon. And Andy, I want to thank for filling in for me tonight. Uh, had a steak dinner reward for completing a six-week course at the church. So I thank you for filling, me, filling in for me. I'll try not to be too sluggish and slow tonight. And tomorrow I might not thank you when I step on my scale. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Jay. You're very welcome, and I'm um, happy to fill in. Really enjoyed uh, doing the full show tonight, so, uh, you know, certainly happy to help out. He certainly did a really good job, so thank you, Andy, for sure. And then we also have with us tonight Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Michael. hey Yeah, my ears were burning, and I, I call in, and sure enough, Andy's mentioning my name, so here I am. <laughs> well, there you are. Okay, well, we've got some hot topics to uh, discuss here tonight. So, uh, Mike, why don't we start with you tonight? Sure. Um, Jamie Little announced on her Twitter page today that she will be the play-by-play commentator for the upcoming Craftsman Truck Series race at Las Vegas. And correct me if I'm wrong, I believe this will be the first time that one of NASCAR's top three national-level series has had a, a woman as the primary play-by-play commentator, so potentially some history this weekend. Okay. I don't think it's the first. I think she's done it one other time, but uh, I don't have the details on that. Jay, what are your thoughts? I think she did the Arkham Menard series. I don't know if oh, she has done one of NASCAR's top three. Oh, okay. As, as far as that goes. Um, but it is history-breaking. Uh, if it's not the one, it is in the process. And we have seen her career develop. And I just go back to the days of I know uh, Wendy Venturini was one that started on pit road 
We've seen that several times. But to see these walls being broken down, we know Shannon Spake does uh, Race Hub and, and hosts Race Day. To see that, and these ladies are earning it. I mean, they, there's a reason they're getting these positions because they're good at it, and I love to see that. So uh, I look forward to it. Uh, I say I think it was the Arkham and Ard series uh, that she has done already, and I thought she did a great job. Uh, brings the knowledge and, and brings the entertainment to it uh, from both all perspectives, I'll say. So I think she does a great job, and I look forward to it happening more and more. Okay, Andy. Yeah, this is an exciting opportunity. Uh, first off, I, I think Jamie does a really good job, either, whether it be pit road or in the booth. Uh, she got some experience last year as the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Arkham Menard series. And it's, it's exciting to see that continue for the truck series this year. It, it um, I believe, was announced by Fox Sports that she would split those duties with Adam Alexander this year. So, um, obviously, a really good opportunity for her to be able to go out there and do that. I think she'll do a good job. And um, certainly looking forward to, to seeing her on the uh, broadcast tomorrow night. Um, like I was saying earlier on the show, the Vegas truck race is always one of my favorites. It tends to put on a pretty good show and uh, should be a good one. Yeah, we were talking earlier about how it's so much fun to watch some of these drivers progress through the ranks. Uh, This is also fun to watch, uh, Jamie Little and her progression through the ranks. Uh, Years ago, we did have her on the show, and I remember we had kind of one of those fluky nights where there were some technical issues with us getting started, and uh, she was just so gracious and patient (laughs) about waiting and uh, gave us a great interview once she once we actually got going. But uh, she is a very talented professional lady, and uh, I like to see good things happen to good people. And uh, that's what's happening here with Jamie Little. She works hard for it, and uh, she deserves to uh, have these opportunities. So it's good to see for sure. Kind of what you all have said. I mean. Jamie has been the full-time play-by-play commentator for the Arkham Menard series starting with last season, and she's covered, I believe, all of the nationally broadcast Arkham Menard series races through last season and then uh, through the beginning of this season. And to be honest, starting out last year, she was a bit shaky in the role. Um, she was she was kind of reactive. Didn't it was almost like she wasn't quite keeping up with what was going on on the racetrack, but as the season progressed, she definitely has found her voice, and she definitely seems to be getting more comfortable in the role. So hopefully she continues to grow into that role. Uh, people think that it's, oh, it's, it's, all you do is sit there and talk about the race that you're watching out the window. I can assure you, and, I'm, I'm, and Jay, I'm sure, knows even better than I do, it's a much, much, much more difficult thing to do than people make it out to be. It is not a job that anyone can do very well, and the fact that Jamie Little is able to do it is, is credit to her, her craft, her knowledge, and her talent, and I hope that she continues to grow in that role. Vince Welch, it was a shame he got let go. Uh, I thought his pit road work was outstanding. He was never phenomenal in the booth in the truck series when he was doing the play-by-play work, but I thought his pit road work was outstanding, but it is nice to see people like Jamie Little getting the opportunity to move up, and don't forget, Mike Joy is in his 70s. So he does a great job in the Fox Sports booth, but how much longer is he going to be there? 
They need to start thinking. We, we talk a lot about drivers moving on and retiring, but Mike Joy probably doesn't have a whole lot of time left before he's going to want to step away and let somebody else take that role where he enjoys a, a comfortable retirement. So perhaps Jamie Little continues to grow and develop, and she's calling races on Sunday one, uh, one of these years in the future. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Jay, your follow-up? Yeah, Mike hit on, hit on a couple of key things there. Uh, there's always development and progression um, as she started doing things in the booth. And the play-by-play, especially, as he said, is a little bit different. And uh, just going down the road of if she's got to be in the position of be- being between uh, Kevin Harvick and Clint Boyer, the play-by-play is kind of the one that's the moderator and keeps things in check. So that's a whole other separate role in and of itself that we've seen can be very t- taxing. So um, to build that and grow from that is just great. And there's unfortunately those that um, are going to come with, oh, it's just because she's a female. She is a female. But if you have watched her grow and develop and the skill set she has and the ability to do it, she has earned it. I get real frustrated with when people want to throw that out there, that based on minority or based on being a female or whatever it be. Well, they're just doing it for the publicity and and this and that. No, she has earned that spot. Uh, Again, as Mike said, maybe those first couple races are a little shaky, you know, but to watch the improvement and development, and that shows why, because she has improved and is building so uh, I think it's great. And where they go with it in the future, don't know. Like Sharon said, you do have to, as with anything, sport, sporting or otherwise, got to have that next generation or your replacements um, that that's what they're looking at. Andy, your follow-up? Well, you know, I'm just really excited to see her get the opportunity, and I think it is well-deserved. She's been around the sport a long time. We have to remember that um, – uh, she used to report, I think, for ESPN uh, several years ago before moving over to Fox Sports. So she, it's not like she hasn't been around for a while. She has, and I I always enjoy seeing uh, deserving people get the opportunity to advance their career. And I thought that she's done a, a pretty good job on the ARCA broadcast, and you know, I think that um, it'll be nice to see her uh, jump into the truck series. It should be noted, too, that um, you know, last year was her first year doing play-by-play, and a lot of that was done – in the studio where they like pretended to be at the racetrack, which I think makes the job a lot more difficult. So uh, I think when you look at this weekend, um, I believe they'll actually be at the racetrack. uh, And I think that'll probably make her job a lot easier. So, um, you know, looking forward to seeing what she can do. I'm sure she'll do a really good job. And um, again, it's nice to see people rewarded for their years of hard work. Yes. And you guys have alluded to this and I'm just going to, articulated a little bit more. Uh, This isn't something that just happened overnight. Uh, This has taken years uh, for her to uh, grow into uh, this opportunity. And, uh, again, I think it's well-deserved. She's worked hard for it. I see Jamie Little is one of those people who probably – uh, right after the broadcast, she probably sits down and looks at it and says, what could I have done differently here? And she learns from that. So uh, she's a consummate professional, professional and uh, I think she'll do well, and I, I do think she will continue to progress, uh, to Mike's point of, uh, you know, the next evolution of what happens uh, throughout the three series. So, uh, again, just echoing what you guys have already said, uh, very well deserved. Mike, you get the final word. 
let me put it this way. If you want to make some money, some real money, get yourself a stopwatch and a line tape and go down to any sports bar during football season and take bets from people who say that they can run a sub-five-second 40-yard dash because just about every guy watching football thinks it's easy and they can do it. And I remember back the old Daytona USA Museum that they used to have at Daytona. I think that the museum is still there, but it's changed hands. Anyway, they had a feature there where you could record yourself doing the last couple lap broadcast for the previous Daytona 500. And it was hilarious to listen to some of the people, myself included, trying to come up with play-by-play commentary for a race they already had seen before and knew what was going to happen, and it was still just word soup stumbling over yourself. So the fact that somebody, Jamie Little or anybody else, is able to keep up with that, it, it takes a special talent, skill set, and professionalism that's very difficult to develop, and very few people have it, especially at a professional level like Jamie Little does. So very good job on her. I wish her the very, very best, and I look forward to listening to her this weekend. Okay, great. Jay, you get the next hot topic. Well, I wasn't sure exactly what time I was going to get home and be able to jump on here. And Mike started one that uh, I said, I was like, I, I don't know if I'll make the whole show, but I wanted to be involved in this discussion. And that is the restart at California at Fontana. Uh, NASCAR has extended the start zone on, all, I believe, all of the tracks. I'm not 100% sure if it's all of the tracks. But they have extended the start zone, and it is on the leaders when to fire. We had a problem uh, crash based on a restart. Some want to say Joey Logano checked up or laid back, uh, but it was discussed and what the thoughts on it were, and I got a lot to bring with this one, so I'm going to settle down and let y'all start. <laughs> okay, Andy, you get the first crack. Yeah, I mean, that uh, that restart wreck was, was quite frankly ridiculous. That's probably the best word I can come up with there, and it, it was a bit misleading because when you look at the replay, it looked like, Logano brake checked, but the reality was he just didn't go, and that's his prerogative within the restart zone. But you know, there there has been a lot of shenanigans um, with the restarts, and you know, drivers trying to gain that advantage on their fellow competitors, and unfortunately, it has led itself to some accidents. And so, you know, it, I think that there does need to be some accountability with regards to that. Um, I'm not saying I want to see penalties left and right. We talk about how we, we generally don't like to see a lot of penalties, but if a driver's, you know, been found to be, um, you know, playing some shenanigans or games, then they probably do need to serve some kind of a penalty because no one wants to see 15 cars piled up on a restart like that. So, um, you know, I'm not exactly sure what needs to take place with the restart zone, but, you know, try to make it where it's consistent, I guess, would be would be my only real thought on that. You know, make it consistent to where drivers can't play those games. You know, I don't, I don't know how you do that. I don't have a good solution, unfortunately. But, you know, certainly don't like seeing what we saw on Sunday. And, um, you know, maybe that does require a little bit more – um, careful oversight from NASCAR's part to make sure that these drivers are, are not out there playing games. Okay, Mike. So uh, Andy and I talked about this uh, when it happened, when we were, we were in the race chat, and because of the nature of the wreck, it took them a long time to clean it up, and they did a lot of analysis on TV. 
I'm not the biggest Joey Logano fan, so I hate being in a position where I feel like I have to defend him, but I don't think Joey Logano did anything wrong. He was the leader. He was in control of the restart. It was everybody else around him, especially second row on back, who wanted to try and game the restart and jump it before the leader decided to go. Like Jay said, anytime you're in that restart zone, from the beginning all the way to the end, it is the leader's prerogative for when he goes. If Logano had actually lifted or brake-checked the field, that's a completely different story. But all the data they presented on TV, it looks like Joey Logano did exactly what he was required to do by the rule book. He held his consistent speed until he fired off to actually restart the race. The problem wasn't what Joey Logano did. The problem was what everyone else who was not the leader and was not in control of the restart, they tried to play the games, and it ended up causing a big wreck. I agree that it was a really ugly, kind of embarrassing wreck right there, but to try and pin that on the the leader playing games, it's simply not the case. Do you want to try and start penalizing second place, third, fourth, or the rows on back who try and jump a restart? Well, that becomes very difficult to enforce because – if they get the timing right, you usually are never going to know unless maybe they just they jump past the leader on the restart, which, well, that's part of racing as well. So I don't know that NASCAR really should look into digging into this at all. If the, if the leader does break check the field, that's a completely different story. But in this case at California last week, and the leader didn't do anything wrong, I don't think any penalty needs to come from it. I don't think any rule change needs to come from it. Well, I don't know if you guys heard the interview with uh, Chris Buescher. Uh, he had an interview with the media earlier today, but I thought he gave a very clear explanation of his perspective on it. And he agrees that there probably, you know, nobody likes to have NASCAR intervene in these types of situations. Nobody. However, drivers sometimes need uh, NASCAR to step in to save themselves from themselves. Uh they are looking for every competitive advantage that they can get. And what they're doing, again, it has nothing to do with what Joey Logano did at the lead of the pack. What they're doing after that, though, is they're checking up to give themselves a running start when they get to the finish line. Uh, somebody asked if it was to get a competitive advantage to the person next to them. And he said it's not the person next to them that they're looking for the competitive advantage. It's the person in front of them. They want to get that running start uh, at that start-finish line to be able to compete with the guy in front of them. And what's happened is so many people have realized that that's a competitive advantage, that more and more drivers are doing it. They're checking up to get that gap before they get to the finish line to get that running start. It's better for them to get that running start across the finish line versus at the finish line going after the running start uh, once the leader takes off. So that's, that's the issue. And what happened last week at Auto Club Speedway caused a big accident and, and like you said, a major cleanup. Now, what Chris Buescher said in his interview is that uh, he feels that NASCAR does need to look at it because if they don't, there's going to be more and more accidents just like that because these drivers are looking for every competitive advantage that they can get. Um, he, He says there's a rule in place, and there is a rule in place. You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to check up the field before you get to the start finish line, and they're doing it. 
it's it's kind of like started with a couple of people who took advantage of that as a competitive advantage, and now it's getting to be more and more people that are doing it. The problem is these guys can't see that well out of these cars, and when somebody checks up, you get that accordion effect that causes an accident like we saw at Auto Club Speedway. So uh, I'm going to take a little bit different view on it based on what Chris Buescher said. There, there is a rule in place already. NASCAR's just not enforcing it as it is. And they need to, if, if nothing else, at the next driver's meeting, they have to remind drivers that there needs to be, uh, they need to follow the rule and not check up before they get to that start-finish line. So, uh, and it can happen anywhere along the line uh, where somebody decides to check up to get that running start. So I think that uh, Chris Buescher had a really good perspective on it. And if you haven't heard his interview on that, I would highly recommend that you, you listen to it because he gives a really good analysis of what's happening and what he thinks NASCAR should do. Um, at the very least, remind them that there's a rule in place. And then the, it's up to the drivers. The drivers have to follow the rules. Uh, and when they don't follow the rules and when NASCAR doesn't enforce those rules, then there's a problem. And that's what we saw at Auto Club Speedway. So, Jay, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, I will try not to go for a full 10 minutes where you got to interrupt me to do the, uh, the message of us going off the air yet. But first, I want to compliment Mike. He said he struggled to defend Joey Logano. as not a fan of Joey Logano. I don't like to uh, compliment Mike, but I will. Take the driver out of it. I think that's, truthfully, I think that's a big part of where this starts is who it was. Um, take the driver out of it. The leader, as you said, their job is to maintain the consistent speed through all of that start zone and fire when they want to in that start zone. Right. I believe that the leader of the race, which happened to be Joey Logano, did that. Okay. Now, the second part is, did somebody else further back? And Sharon alluded into this is what Chris Buescher was talking about. Second or third row, lay back, and then they get a good run. So when the leader fires, they're at a higher speed or the same speed and aren't getting gapped. Okay? So that's on them. The only thing NASCAR should be doing, and in this day and age, they got the technology and they did their job. As Mike said, they went through the replays and looked at it. Nowhere did it show any kind of indication that, Joey Logano as the leader who has the right checked up or stopped or break checked as they like to call it. There was no indication of that. And they got the telemetry. They can tell. If the leader's doing that, they're going to get penalized. That's where NASCAR needs to step in. If somebody a row or two back is laying back and then getting up to speed and being at a higher speed or above the leader when they fire, that is another spot where NASCAR should, should step in. Other than that, it will be, as they used to say it, like to say with other other things it'll be self-policing within the garage because they know that if you're doing this when somebody's behind you or in front of you at some point you're going to be the leader or that second row you know others are going to treat you the way you treated them so i think it'll be kind of a self-policing these first couple of races with that bigger start zone um you have that bigger area to start the race not necessarily play games or shenanigans but it kind of is um that there might be some feeling out process. But as they, as they go through the season, I think that'll be self-policing because obviously 
everybody third on back doesn't want to be in a wreck every week and they see that once or twice, they're going to be like, okay, we can't do that. We're wrecking half the field, no matter who the drivers are. And that's my biggest thing is I think you need to take out of the equation who the leader was. Just because it was Joey this first time it happened, oh, let's blame him. He caused it. I 100% do not feel Joey Logano caused that wreck. Do I feel, and I don't even know who the driver was in second or third, um, that, as you said, kind of maybe laid back and jumped a little early? Yeah, if anything, it was more on them, but that's their job. Their job is to try and time when Joey goes, it did, or the leader goes, it didn't work. You better do a better job next time, or you're going to have some non-friends out there saying, hey, you have wrecked the, the whole field three weeks in a row. And like I said, that'll be self-pleasing. There's some car owners and drivers and whatever. They'll take care of that themselves. Okay, Andy? Yeah, that's a really good point, you know, and, and kind of what we were looking at Sunday, too, is that, you know, Logano went when he deemed it to be appropriate, and, you know, I think you'll find that it was probably a row or two behind him that, that tried to, to gain the advantage on a leader, and, and it backfired, and that's why we saw the accident. So, um, you know, hopefully we can, can see that policed a little bit to where, you know, they're they're not playing games all the time, because... You know, if they don't, then, yeah, we're going to see more and more accidents and, you know, on the restarts. And like we saw Sunday, you know, that tore up, I think, a dozen or so cars. And, you know, certainly don't want to see that. So, um, you know, it's <laughs> just the nature of NASCAR racing, I suppose, and from the standpoint of, you know, you give these drivers an inch, they'll take a mile. And they'll always find any way possible to, to gain some kind of a competitive advantage and, you know, that's what we see here. So, you know, maybe they can find a way to regulate it a little bit. Again, I don't really have the answer for that. Um, you know, maybe Jay Huseman of the Jay Huseman Cup Series can figure out a rule for that. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. You know, but I, I certainly hope that, you know, we, we see this policed a little bit just so we're not seeing these accidents become a theme here this season. Yeah, I hope I hope uh, that's the case. I think... I think that, um, uh, you know, drivers are paid to look for the competitive advantage, and they've figured out that that's how they can get a little bit of an advantage and be faster at that start-finish line is by checking up a little bit. Uh, but it does cause problems. So I hope you're right. I hope it's self-policing uh, by the drivers. However, uh, if you listen again to that interview, Chris Busher seems to think it's been going on for a while now and NASCAR has not done anything or said anything, and that's why more and more drivers are doing it. So it's kind of like what they were doing, if you remember back when um, uh, they had the, well, they still have the timing lines on pit road, and drivers were speeding up in between the timing lines because they knew exactly where that timing line was to try to get back down to the lower speed by the time they crossed the timing line, but trying to gain speed in between, and NASCAR had to shorten uh, those the distance between those timing lines to avoid those drivers from doing that. Uh, so again, they're, they were looking for a competitive advantage there. Um, and so if you give them that little bit, they're going to they're going to fill that gap and they're going to take it. Um, and and there's been guys that have done they've they've checked up and unfortunately the guys behind them checked up too. And that it didn't cause an accident, but it did give them a competitive advantage across that start-finish line. 
So it's not going to cause an accident every time they do it, but uh, they increase the chances of an accident the more often that they do it. So uh, I think if NASCAR just reminds them at the next driver's meeting uh, that the rule is that you're to keep pace with that lead car, uh, that That is a rule. They are supposed to keep pace with the lead car, and the lead car sets the pace. They're not doing that. They're they're checking up, and then they're racing to cross that finish line uh, faster. So uh, I, I think that it, it needs to be addressed. Hopefully, the drivers will uh, self-regulate, to, to uh, Jay's point, but if they don't, self-regulate, then I do think NASCAR needs to step in. But I think you start with talking about it and bringing awareness to it that they know it's happening uh, at the driver's meeting. Uh, nobody likes to see more regulations within the sport, so hopefully we can avoid it. Jay, you get the final word. I don't get a follow-up? Well, I think uh, my, oh, hold on a minute. Oh, yeah, I think Mike can get mic? one more turn in there, but, I, but we are I at 27 so sorry, minutes, too. Okay, let me make the announcement. I'm, I'm still I apologize. I'm, I'm just devastated. I am so, so sorry. Kind of what I was, was going to say. Let I me, let me do my announcement first. Right let oh, me, sure, let go me ahead. do the announcement first. Uh, we're coming up on the nine, uh, 10.30 mark here at Fan for Racing Radio, and we do an announcement at this time just to let first-time listeners in particular know that we're going to go up there at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, that means you're probably going to hear us still talking when we go off the air. But just know we are continuing to record the rest of that conversation, and that part of the conversation will be on our podcast. So when we're done here tonight, I will go out on Facebook and Twitter and post that the podcast is available. And at that point, you can go to the two-hour mark on the player that we have at fanparacing.com and hear the rest of the conversation. Again, we don't want anybody to be caught off guard or not know how you can hear the rest of the conversation, and that's why we make this announcement at this point. So I didn't want to interrupt Mike while he was talking, so I did that a little, just a tad bit early. But, Mike, go ahead. Yeah, not a problem at all. So what I was going to say is I think we're kind of in a danger zone here where it's real easy to want to make some sort of a knee-jerk reaction and either come up with a new rule or get heavy-handed about enforcing existing rules. But we got to remember, Jay mentioned it in his initial bringing up of this topic, is this is somewhat new. We've had the restart zone for five or eight years or however long it's been around, but this year NASCAR extended it about 25% at the beginning and another 25% at the end. So in total, it's 50% larger than it has been in years previous. If you've ever scanned any driver for the most part, the spotter will usually say something to the effect of the leader is now in the restart zone. They won't use those exact words, but they'll say something that communicates that to their driver. And I'm willing to bet that that being told to the driver would start an internal clock in the driver's head. And they have a certain muscle memory that they've developed over the past few years of leaders in the zone, one potato, two potato, we're going. And that timing is different now because the zone is so much bigger that internal timing is going to have to change. And I think if we give it a little bit of, uh, you know, a few races here and there, we might see another ugly record too, like we saw last weekend at California. But I think without any new rules or any significant enforcement changes, I think this is a problem that will most likely take care of itself 
as drivers adjust their internal timing and understand that it's going to take a, it may take a little bit longer for the leader to fire off than they have in previous years because the leader has that much more space to make that decision. So hopefully as drivers get more used to this new restart zone and the timing that's involved with making a restart happen with the expanded zone, I think this is a problem that's going to take care of itself. Now, if we get to June and they're still widening it up every single weekend, that's going to be a different conversation. We can have it at that time. But right now, we say when we talk about refereed sports where the ref needs to swallow their whistle, I think this is a swallow the whistle moment right now and just wait and see if this is going to be a persistent problem or if this is something that's going to take care of itself and they can focus on, on frying up some other fish here. Well, you bring up a good point, Mike, and, and it's possible that that is the case. But, again, if you listen to what uh, Chris Busher is saying, he, he seems to feel like – Drivers have been doing this, and you guys have been calling it shenanigans and games uh, throughout this conversation. Uh, they've been doing it for a while. This is not something new. Uh, and and that it's just given them more opportunity with a longer restart zone. Uh, I agree that there probably is some muscle memory kind of things that are going on there, but I don't think that this is something that is new with the larger restart zone. And that's that's kind of confirmed with what the driver actually said. So it's been going on for a while. NASCAR's not been looking at it. And um, he feels that it might be time for them to take a look at it, especially with the larger restart zone. So um, I think that uh, we'll have to wait and see. I hope it does self-regulate. I hope the drivers do figure out that that's not a real smart thing to do and they stopped doing it. But, uh, again, they're looking for the competitive advantage, so they try to do whatever they can do. Jay? Well, there's not a whole lot of occasions where you can compare to another sport, but in case you have a fan that isn't listening and fully understanding when it comes to racing, not that they don't understand racing, but what we're talking about here, look at football. When you talk about the uh, offense is one in control, to run the play, the defense is waiting. They're going to try and time it. Quarterbacks vary their snap count the way they sound it, do a hard count, okay? There's a play clock, so they know at some point, both sides know at some point that ball's got to go. This is the same type of thing. Um, there's that window where they know they got to be within that play clock or whatever. It's the same type of thing. As far as the laying back and getting the run, like I said, uh, that's, it'll be self-policing. And Sharon mentioned, yeah, you mentioned it in the driver's meeting. Adam Stewart, a race director for all Crate Racing USA races, when he tells them to line up and get some ready or come into green, every race, he makes the statement, you can't win it on the first lap. You can, you can end your race on the first lap, but you can't win it on the first lap. From there, it's on the drivers. I agree. Two penalties. If you brake check and they have the telemetry to know that, if the leader stomps on the brakes or speeds up and slows down again, absolutely, that's a penalty. Throw the flag. You know, you're offside. Get the flag. If you are laying back and getting that run, they can see that. And I understand that's where Chris Busher is saying, and that may be the side that NASCAR does lead, need to look at, not just that leader, but somebody else laying back. Um, generally, you see that then, though, when the leader does go, somebody's already passing them. If, he was, if they're all at the same pace and the leader hits the gas, and somebody's passing them, they've clearly been on the gas already. So there could be the penalty there of the jumping the start. 
Um, but as I said, as a whole, that'll become self-policing. And like I said, if one guy is consistently doing it week in and week out, uh, he's going to have some people coming over and talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay, Andy, you're up for our next hot topic. Yeah, I saw an article that, that Jay had posted about uh, Hendrick Motorsports' involvement in the Xfinity Series this year. So uh, just curious what everyone thinks about that. Okay, Mike, you're first up. I did see that article. Uh, remember, Hendrick Motorsports ran a limited Xfinity Series schedule. Kyle Larson, William Byron, and I believe maybe Chase Elliott as well all ran races in a Hendrick Motorsports prepared and fielded car. Obviously still very tightly intertwined with Junior Motorsports, but it was not a Junior Motorsports operation. It was a Hendrick Motorsports operation. Then it sounds like HMS is looking to at least continue, if not so, and expand their Xfinity Series offering. Uh, it didn't look like they were trying to go full-time. There, was, there didn't seem to be any indication that they were working towards any kind of a full-time Xfinity Series program comparable to what, like, J, uh Joe Gibbs Racing has, for example, where they field a full-time Cup Series and a full-time Xfinity Series program. It doesn't sound like HMS wants to go down that road, but I do find it interesting that a team like Hendrick Motorsports is looking to expand back into the Xfinity Series, and it seems like the intention there is to get seat time for their Cup drivers at various racetracks, get more exposure for the company, but also get that practice in there for their, their drivers. Yes, Hendricks Motorsports has four of the very best drivers in the series, but you got to remember, the veteran at that team, the, the, the guy who has been in the Cup Series the longest is Kyle Larson, and he's only been a Cup Series driver since 2014 was his rookie season. Chase Elliott since 2015, William Byron since 2019. Uh, Alex Bowman has been with uh, in the Cup Series for a bit longer, but he's only been with HMS for about three years. So as accomplished as they are, they're still a very young team. So putting together an opportunity for their very young drivers to get more seat time is just going to make HMS that much more dangerous of a, of a race team on Sundays. Okay. Jay? Yeah, I think there's two parts to it, and I'll come to the first part uh, that Mike kind of talked about. There's always that advantage to especially at particular tracks, um, to get that additional seat time, whether they, they need to improve in this particular program. And when I say program, the short track program, the road course program, their intermediate or their super speedway. Um, so there, there's thought process there. Uh, some of the drivers have said, and I think uh, they're right now that's primarily kind of focused towards road coursing. You have Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott, who are extremely good road coursers, road course racers. So the more they can build that for the entire organization um, over to some of the other drivers and obtain to improve that program um, is a good thing. The other thing I look at is, though, still developmental. In another aspect, I'm going to let uh, Andy and Sharon come, or come back to me before I cover that. I think there might be something, and it might be my own opinion that I see, but... I'll share that in a minute. Yeah, you kind of led right into my comments, Jay, because I uh, I was thinking about this too. And, you know, Jeff Gordon came into the organization and he said it's been well known that prior to that, Hendrick didn't want his drivers racing in other series for fear of them hurting themselves and not being able to compete. I remember Jimmy Johnson and the golf cart incident. Um, but here's the thing. Jeff Gordon came in and said, no, we need these guys to be at the short tracks 
and racing on those short tracks because the more seat time they get, the better drivers they will be. And that has proven to be the case. We've seen William Byron go out and win a bunch of short track racing, and uh, it has improved his, his program. Uh, and, and the other drivers are following suit. They're doing more and more uh, off-NASCAR-type uh, racing. Well, the Xfinity program is another opportunity for more seat time. So that's what I think it is. But I think you're right, Jay. I think that they are kind of focusing on road courses uh, to develop those road course skills as well. But um, and, and companion events make a lot of sense. Uh, so we'll see how it progresses. But I think that there's a strategy being played out here at, at uh, Hendrick Motorsports, and I think it has a lot to do with Jeff Gordon. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? What's interesting is, you know, when I read the article headline, I I kind of thought that they were going to start, like, three full-time Xfinity cars moving forward. But in reality, they were reiterating uh, what's already been announced, and, and that's that they'll run a limited schedule this year, uh, much like they did last year. They ran a few road course races with their cup guys. Um, I think it's a good idea. You know, I think that any time – a driver can get more experience on a particular track, maybe a track they feel they need a little work in. You know, I think it's a good thing, and I think that's probably the design of the Xfinity Series program um, to run a few races is that it will allow some of these drivers to maybe get more track time that will help, you know, hone their craft for the Cup Series race. And you look at a lot of, you know, Cup organizations over the years, you know, at various times they've all had an Xfinity car here and there, and I, I think it's a good idea. So, um you know, to what extent, you know, their program, you know, goes to, I don't know. <laughs> I chuckled a bit reading the article headline because it said, like, major expansion into the Xfinity series. And then I read it, and I'm like, oh, so it's basically yeah, just really. what they did last year. You know, so it was, I had to laugh a little bit, you know. But nonetheless, um, it, it's good. You know, I think it's good for, you know, Elliot and, and Byron um, and Bowman, whoever else drives the car. I think that – you know, anytime you can provide an opportunity to run more races, it's a good thing. And, you know, smart from the standpoint of JR Motorsports may not always have a car available. I know they do run the 88 on occasion, but, you know, there may be instances where that car is already slated to run. So, hey, why not, you know, form your own Xfinity team so that you can run when you need to? And, and I think that's the idea. You know, you look at Gibbs, who's had you know, a long time existing Xfinity program that's been successful. Um, you know, Stuart Haas Racing, um, Penske used to have an Xfinity car. All these big organizations generally have had either an Xfinity team or an affiliated Xfinity team. So, um, you know, I definitely think it's beneficial. And, and, you know, I think something to point out, too, about Hendrick Motorsports, their cup program's pretty set, I think, for the foreseeable future. They've got four young drivers with long-term contracts. However, you know, those drivers will, over time, uh, you know, eventually age and, you know, Hendrick Motorsports at some point may decide that they want to move in a different direction. And, and by that point, you know, they may want to begin developing talent for down the road. Um, I'm not going to say that's anytime soon, you know, nor do I think there's any reason for HMS to replace any of its existing drivers. I think that the four drivers they have are, are certainly set for the long term, but, you know, why not have that Xfinity program to develop talent down the road in case they do decide to, to make a change or, or things just happen to change in the future. So a good idea to have it. I, I think it's a good thing. And, you know, I've always enjoyed seeing 
the cup guys run, you know, races here and there. And, you know, anytime Larson or Elliott or those guys run, um, it's always not only fun to watch, but it's really good for the Xfinity Series field to race against drivers with that level of talent. So definitely a good thing. And, you know, be certainly looking forward to seeing which races they run this year. Okay, Mike. So, Sharon and Andy, you both kind of alluded to it, but this, this this has benefits beyond just Hendrick Motorsports and their drivers. This has benefits for the sport of racing as a whole. Uh, I, Andy and I commented on it watching the Xfinity race after the Cup Series race on Sunday because they had to, to delay the Xfinity race until Sunday evening. It was really disappointing to see that a sold-out crowd that showed up for the Cup Series race almost entirely cleared out and it was very empty by the time the Xfinity Series race was running. It was kind of disappointing. I think having some big names in the Xfinity Series, Chase Elliott, obviously very popular, Kyle Larson, William Byron, all very popular drivers, I think hopefully that will help keep uh, butts in seats for the Xfinity Series races. And then even more than that, how huge is it that Hendrick Motorsports has allowed their drivers to branch out, and now you can have cup champions like Chase Elliott and Kyle Larson, Xfinity Series champion like William Byron, just randomly showing up to these little tracks and, and you know, for lack of a better way to describe it, nowhere markets, and they're just showing up to race. That is huge for that track. That's huge for the drivers that show up to that track. So I really like what I'm seeing with HMS in terms of branching out, allowing their drivers to go do other things, and I think it benefits the sport as a whole, not just Hendrick Motorsports and the individual drivers. Hopefully they continue doing that, and it continues to have a positive effect on the entire sport, and it brings that notoriety in racing to uh, well, really back to where it was a decade or two ago. Jay? Well, you brought up some uh, some very good points about the benefit for not just HMS, but the Xfinity Series and also Chevrolet. And I thought Andy was going to steal my thunder here and go down the road, but we're going to be Johnny Carson, the Swami here. Look down to the, the future. We know Junior Motorsports is looking to go into the Cup Series. If they do, they don't have the resources to run both. Where does HMS and Junior Motorsports uh, developmental program come from that? And if HMS has to split for Junior Motorsports to move to the Cup, uh, there again, HMS has to do it on their own. So I think it might be, and this is MJ talking, I see where that becomes what is now Junior Motorsports. Junior Motorsports goes to Cup. HMS provides the Xfinity Series developmental program. I think that's what they're looking at down the road in the future. Uh, like Andy was saying, you know, you still got to have some type of developmental. Uh, they just locked up their drivers, and they are set for a good amount of time and have the talent there. But uh, the future, down the road, you still got to have some type of a replacement program. And with Junior Motorsports goes to Cup, I think it's going to be the HMS program. And then, again, it goes for all of Chevrolet. We saw Noah Gregson come through junior motorsports he is with legacy motor club um over there but it's another chevrolet program so i think there may be some manufacturer ties and uh wishes in this as well and that's again just my opinion no i think i think you guys all brought up uh, really excellent points uh, but i still think jeff gordon has a lot to do with it as well uh remember when jeff gordon came into this sport uh, he was con- contrasted, uh, you know, from the blue-collar uh, driver to the white-collar driver who, who had more 
uh, of a polished look, more of a polished way of doing business. And he's bringing that now into uh, team owner perspective. And, and not that they're blue-collar by any stretch of the imagination, but he's bringing in fresh ideas. And we've been talking for a long time about how uh, Chevrolet seems to be behind the curve with regard to their development program of bringing drivers up through the system. And so this is a great opportunity. Not only is it great for the short tracks like Mike alluded to, uh, and, and Andy and I talked about this earlier, uh, how it's difficult when we see that another short track racing track has closed or is thinking about closing up their track. Uh, it, it, it really does pull in extra revenue when you have those big-name drivers racing in those races. And, Jay, you and I have been talking about this for a long time. Uh, we feel like maybe they've got a right balance now for these driver drivers to race in the Xfinity Series. What is it, five races now that they can do? Um, <clears throat> but they do bring fans to the stands when those drivers are are at the track in the other series. So I think it is important, uh, and there is a lot of benefits that are being played out here. I agree with you, Chevrolet probably had something to do with it as well, if they had any recognition at all that they were behind the curve on their development program. So this is truly a great move on their part as far as I'm concerned. And you guys brought up all the really good points uh, that bring that home. So thank you. Andy, you get the last word. Yeah, you know, to reiterate what you've said, Sharon, as well as Jay, I think you have to look at, you know, Chevrolet's Cup Series program and realize that, you know, they've got a lot of teams uh, in the Cup Series, which would require further development. So, you know, HMF adding an Xfinity Series car not only, you know, allows them to develop their own talent moving forward, but it would also allow Chevrolet to develop talent moving forward as well. Um, You know, we've seen... Um, I'll use Chandler Smith as, as an example, you know, driving a full season in a Chevrolet for college racing this year. He was taken from Toyota Racing uh, Development Program. And we see that happen over time. Sometimes, you know, a manufacturer will steal someone from a, an opposing manufacturer. But, you know, instead of having to do that, you know, why not try to develop your own talent moving forward? So I think maybe that's the thought process here and, and certainly um, – you know, I'm all about seeing, you know, you know, cup guys run some races. You know, I know, I think, you know, we used to complain, or I never really did, but I know some people complained about cup guys running too many races, you know, the bushwhacker age, you know, years ago. But, you know, we don't see that as much these days. So when the cup guys do run, you know, I find it to be a treat. And I know the Xfinity Series drivers enjoy it because they get to race against cup-level talent. So, um, I think it's a good thing, nothing wrong with it. I think that it's uh, always fun to see the Cup guys run, and uh, perhaps it allows Chevrolet to use it as a development tool down the road. Okay. Uh, JRM certainly benefits from it as well, I'm sure. Okay, let's uh, move on to the next hot topic. Mike, we're back to you. 
So Jeff Gluck reported on Twitter a few days ago, uh, we've known NASCAR has been working on something for a little while, tweaking the aerodynamic packages for short tracks. And it sounds like they finally come on with their final decision on it. And it's going to be a two-inch spoiler, and they're removing a couple strakes off that lower diffuser. And the overall intention here is to reduce downforce on cars at not just short tracks, but also the road courses. So for all road courses and all short tracks, with the exception of Bristol and Dover, interestingly enough, NASCAR is going to have a little bit different of an aerodynamic package. Interesting to note, this package also coincides with all the different tracks that NASCAR announced that they're going to have a wet weather package available as well. So kind of some opportunities for some very unique racing coming up to these, uh, these short tracks and road courses with a different aerodynamic package as well as a wet weather package on oval tracks for the first time. Jay, your thoughts? Well, when it comes to the aerodynamics and how all that works, I have none because it's not my field of expertise by any means. However, what I do look at is, we talked about this with the, the rear end, last year being the first year with the next-gen car, they've learned some things. They're looking at some things. I don't want to see it go to where we have a different set of rules for 30-some different races, but in a certain uh, program, again, the short track versus road course versus intermediates and super speedways, if improvements can be made for better on-track racing, I'm all for it. I know uh, on Monday night we talked about something with the tires, with the grooving of the tires. Again, they're looking at improving the on-track racing. Uh, I may not understand that when they talk about it with the aerodynamics of it, but if I get to see better on-track racing and, and action there, I'm all for it, and that's why they're in their position. I'm in mine. <laughs> okay, Andy. Well, to your point, Jay, I'm not an aerodynamic engineer either, so I don't know <laughs> all the little details with this. But what I do know is that uh, I, I think it's I think this is a big win um, for the racing product on the short tracks. I know that last year we we saw you know, what could be defined as lackluster racing at some of these flat short tracks. Um, and I think that NASCAR's made a valiant effort to try to improve that. And, and one of the issues we saw was just a lack of passing um, because the cars had just a bit too much downforce. And um, I'm on the uh, the bandwagon of more horsepower, less downforce. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to get my more horsepower wish. It seems as if we're pretty content on the 670 package across the board. That's fine. But, you know, by taking downforce away, it makes the cars more difficult to drive. When you make the car more difficult to drive, it puts it back more in the driver's hands, and that's why we see more coming and going and more passing throughout the race. And I think that that's something that was lacking a bit with the short track package last year. Um, I know drivers had mentioned, you know, multiple times that they felt like if they could eliminate some downforce, it would improve the racing, and that's what we're going to hopefully see with this new package uh, beginning at Phoenix. I look forward to that. Um, you know, I, I love the short track races. I think they put on some of the better races each year. Um, you know, last year was a little lackluster, I think. And, and I'm not going to say that it's anyone's fault. I think you have to consider the fact that it was a brand-new car last year. They had to learn some things, and what they learned was if they take some downforce away, it will hopefully improve the product. So um, I'm looking forward to that. I, I definitely am a big believer in taking downforce away. Uh, I think it puts it more in the driver's hands, makes it more entertaining, and, and uh, hopefully we'll see a good race. 
Yes, indeed. Uh, and you guys have all alluded to it. This is the uh, evolution of the Next Gen Package. And last year we were saying it wasn't coming fast enough that they needed to do something, and they needed to do something now. Unfortunately, it took them time to test it and and come up with these ideas of what it is that they needed to do. I know Brad Keselowski was one of the drivers that tested this package out at uh, Phoenix Raceway, and he really liked it. He thought the package was a really good package uh, for the short tracks at least. I don't know if they tested it on the road course or not. But I trust that NASCAR is doing their due diligence here in the evolution of this next-gen car and uh, that they, don't, they want to see good racing on the track just like we do uh, because they want fans to want to be there to see good racing. So uh, they want all of us watching. So they're going to do whatever they need to do in order to make that happen. But I do think this does tie into, and I forget now who alluded to this, but the rain package. Uh, that was also announced for some of these tracks uh, and, you know, eliminating the rain delays that we sometimes get at some of these tracks by giving the drivers rain tires so that they can get out there and race these tracks. So, um, and, and that we don't have to go through the rain delays that we sometimes experience. So I think that has something to do with all of this as well. And uh, I'm just happy that uh, Brad Keselowski likes the package, and uh, it gives me a lot of uh, encouragement of what we're going to see at uh, Phoenix Raceway when those races come up, uh, not this weekend, but the following weekend. So, Mike, what are your thoughts? Well, Andy already alluded to it, where the short track racing last year was a little disappointing. I think NASCAR really nailed it with the intermediate track package. I think the the racing that we saw in the one-and-a-half-mile to two-mile intermediate tracks last year was probably the best that we've seen in the better part of a decade, if not longer. It was It was really good. But I think a little bit of that came at the expense of the short track. And I understand what Jay's saying with regard to not wanting to have – 36 different rules packages for 36 different race weekends. I get that, and I don't entirely disagree with it, but it's Jay, so I've got to disagree with him at least to a certain extent. (laughs) Part of the appeal of NASCAR is that they have such a diverse variety of racetracks that they go to. Uh, There's no other racing series in the world where one racing series does short tracks, super speedways, intermediates, road courses. Oh, by the way, we're going to do one on dirt, too. Nobody does that, but The trade-off of that is it's impossible to have a one-size-fits-all or even a one-size-fits-most rule package with how wildly different NASCAR races are at the various different kind of tracks that they have. Even though they have the same baseline car, and I I agree that with the the Gen 7 car, I think they did great with making as close to a one-size-fits-all solution as they could. However... With the, the variety of different racetracks, they've got to have tailored rules packages that produce the best racing at those different types of tracks. I think the Spring Martinsville race last year was probably the, the, the weakest of all the races in the entire series, which is it's uncharacteristic. Usually Martinsville is phenomenal, but that Spring Martinsville race, the cold weather combined with a, a lackluster aerodynamics package, it really produced a snoozer of a race, which is disappointing. So... I'm really hoping that the changes that they've made to the aerodynamics package will improve the racing, not just at Martinsville, but at all of these short tracks that they, they're implementing this new rule package on. And we see the racing at these shorter tracks come up to the same level that we got to enjoy last year at the intermediate and super speedway races. Okay, Jay. 
Yeah, I understand that, and that's why I say I break it into categories of maybe four rule packages, um, and it, it's not that it affects me, but for these crew chiefs, um, they have the you know we're trying to go away from the one or one or two cars for each race that you have a super speedway car. It the design to help the teams, especially the underfunded teams, was to be able to take the same car from a short track to a super speedway or a road course. Um, and they've, they've got a good base package. Uh, I understand that you have the tweaks for the different categories. And I am okay with that because uh, as a fan, uh, it doesn't really affect me. We don't have to deal with it. But I also think about the teams. The one thing, and Sharon kind of got into this with mentioning Brad Keselowski, I think we are seeing, and this was discussed last year, not just a, vo- a driver or a team member or crew member, voicing an opinion about something NASCAR is doing wrong, but some direct input and communication, a good direct beneficial communication to say, hey, if we went this direction, we could have better races on these tracks, you know, and having Brad Keselowski test it and give his input and then taking that under consideration. And I know one, for me, patience is not my biggest virtue by any means. Yes, we saw this some of this last year. But they can't just say, okay, we're going to do this because then we've got some other problems. So they took their time, got the input, put a package together, tested it, make sure it's right before they implement it. And I appreciate that. I might not have appreciated it last year when I was saying, it might have been one saying, <laughs> hey, we need to change something now. But you look at it long term, that's the right way to go about it. Okay. Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, I don't really have much follow-up on this one, um, you know, but, um, yeah, we'll see what happens, you know. Yeah, I don't have a lot of follow-up either. I think you guys hit on all the main points here, and uh, Mike will let you have the final word. <laughs> we're really not much more to add. We're in wait-and-see mode. Um, we were not going to see it on track this weekend at Las Vegas. The first time we're going to see this this new rules package on the racetrack is going to be this next coming weekend after Las Vegas at Phoenix. Uh, that'll be the first time that we see this tra- uh, this package on track in competition. So, yes, you can do all the testing and aerodynamics and modeling and sims that you want, but really the, the, the true test of a package, any package, is how it races on the racetrack. And we're really not going to know until we see it on track at Phoenix. The, uh, the spring Phoenix race last year was okay. I know Andy thought it was the best race it possibly could be, but, Objectively, that race was okay at best. I'm hoping for an improvement of the on-track product at Phoenix uh, coming up in a little bit over a week from now, and we'll know exactly what we're looking at. You know, Mike, that was just absolutely just a fantastic race. Couldn't have asked for anything better. I I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) See there? We don't always agree, but we still like each other. Okay, so, um, and and we, we can get around. Let's go ahead and do our roundtable here as we wrap up the show for tonight. Uh, let's see, who do I want to start with? Andy, let's start with you. On uh, Twitter, CB14 fan, and uh, just uh, glad to be on for the full show tonight. Really enjoyed it, Sharon. Um, and uh, looking forward to this weekend. I will be watching tomorrow night and Saturday for sure, hopefully Sunday. So. Uh, looking forward to Vegas. I think they always put on some good racing, and uh, happy that all three series are in action this weekend. Well, Andy, we really appreciate that you were available today, so thank your workplace as well for leaving you available for us. 
Yeah, okay. absolutely. In fact, I I don't really work that much anymore, so uh, it's it's definitely going to be, I think, a better year as far as participation for the uh, radio shows. Oh, well, that's good to hear. Actually, Mike, let's go to you next. Sure, it's Mike underscore Rizal on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Also looking forward to the racing this weekend. Uh, I had a, a bit of a rough weekend last week with our fantasy picks, which gave me the advantage of having the number two overall pick. And it's the Pennzoil 400 at Las Vegas. And I picked Joey Logano, who is driving a very Steve Park-looking race car. I'm really sorry for Joey. I, I knew he had a really good weekend plan, but I've got Joey Logano, and I'm probably going to watch him go down in flames this weekend just because I'm the guy who picked him. Sorry, Joey. Well, I almost didn't even get a race pick. So, Jay, it's your turn. Uh, I was going to say, and with that, she's going to lead into me. Yeah, uh, there was some editing to be done. Um I the chart I have and the points are all right. I can promise you that. But uh, transferring it over, I uh, had a brain fart or something. Yeah, Sharon was a little offended. Wanted to know if she even got a pick. Not really. Uh, but but if I'm allowed to jo- go, joke back, Sharon, you get a pick and you don't get any points anyway. So I was like, well, what's the difference? No. Oh, um, I know. <laughs> I'm having that kind of year we've too. All, we've all had those. So. This weekend, you mentioned it, big weekend when it comes to our fantasy points, all three series on the track. So it's going to be a big weekend for that. I'll have some point stats up uh, here throughout the weekend as we wrap those up. But to follow that, you can follow me on Facebook, Michael Hoosman, MoparMJ8, and on Twitter and Instagram. And barring that darn R word, I could be at one of three different local dirt tracks as race season is trying to get underway. So we'll see if I'm at the bull ring here in Columbus at why not motorsports park at battle of the States or possibly Jackson with the uh, cart track. Um, or I might be sitting at home watching these races on TV cause it's wet outside. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep us posted. Okay. I am fan for racing site on Twitter as, as well as Fan for Racing Blog and Radio on uh, other social media. Uh, and we have our website, fanforracing.com. Uh, now, we did put up, uh, we've been putting up uh, Owen's power rankings, which are really good. And uh, we've also been putting up uh, Sam's recaps. So uh, look for those at fanforracing.com. And uh, as well as the race recaps from the NASCAR Wire. So uh, we're looking, just like everybody else, looking forward to the races that are going to take place this weekend at Las Vegas. I love the triple header weekends when we get to see all three series on the track. The only thing that makes it even better is in, when ARC is racing with them as well. Uh, but uh, plenty of racing to watch this weekend, and I'm definitely looking forward to that. We appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in to hear what we have to say. We enjoy doing our uh, fan racing radio shows, and we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy doing. So uh, with that, guys, uh, thank you for all that you do. Uh, and Andy gets the kudos today for stepping in for uh, Jay. And uh, I will look forward to doing this again next Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Sal Segala. So uh, thank you, guys. I think we're ready to call it a wrap. All right. Thank good you, night, and everybody. have a good night. Good night. Good night, David. Good night.
With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. 